Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon podcast. Coming to you from deep underground in the Comic Book Dungeon, I am your one of your hosts, Mark. And I am your host, Cruz. Coming from adjacent to the dungeon in the Comic Book Garage. Comic Book Garage, <laughs> nice. I assume that you found our podcast because you either are really interested in comic books or you really love dungeons. Either way, I think you're going to have a good time. So thanks for stopping by. Outstanding. Outstanding. Okay, so let's kick this off. Okay. Uh, I wanted to give a little bit of background because this is our first uh, episode, our premiere episode, about who we are and why we're doing this and what this show is about. Um. This show, we wanted to do a deep dive back into Marvel's history. We want to focus on the bizarre, the weird, and the forgotten. So what that basically means is uh, we're going back to comic books that a lot of you, I'm assuming, haven't read. uh, And we're going to read them for you, and you get to listen to our commentary instead of maybe uh, picking up these issues yourself. This is a podcast that... It's been on the burner here, I think, on and off for a couple of years. This originally started out as a G.I. Joe podcast, in my mind, going through the Marvel 1980s G.I. Joe uh, issues, which has now evolved into this. Yes, and uh, I, um, as, as you can tell here, Mark is definitely the, I would say, driving force and probably the more knowledgeable one as far as uh, these deep dives that we're going to be going into. Uh, I'm kind of approaching this from the tack of your average guy who who likes comics, so I guess maybe not quite average, and, and enjoys reading them. And I'm I'm kind of coming at this from a really fresh perspective. So ultimately, I guess we're going to be looking at this and uh, kind kind of helping you determine whether or not. Uh, we're subjecting ourselves to some sort of gruesome torture for you and taking the bullet and reading some of these, or whether it's the hidden gem that should be in everybody's library. We're hoping that this is an ongoing show, that we're going to cover different uh, different comic book series. I wanted to briefly describe our criteria, our rules for what we came up with. Uh, and eventually, I think we would like to take some audi- any, any audience suggestions we would be open to. We've got kind of a log that we'd like to, a backlog of comics that we've uh, talked about. We'd like to maybe have the audience vote on those for our next issues. But I'd like to introduce kind of what show or what comics we'd like to cover and how we chose them. Uh, these are all going to be Marvel comics, so that's definitely all coming from a Marvel perspective. But rule one is the comic book had to have been published in the 1960s or 70s rule two it has to be something that's kind of bizarre unusual definitely not a superhero book something that's maybe been forgotten hasn't been touched on in a while but definitely maybe a bit esoteric and the third rule um i'm sorry the third rule would be that it's not a superhero book so first rule 60s and 70s second rule something that's kind of a weird or more unusual title third rule no superhero books and so uh how i came up with this is that if a title any title if it meets those two out of the three criteria so we could maybe do a 1980s book as long as it was still unusual or maybe a superhero book from the 70s and again these are more guide guidelines maybe not rules if we find a title that we really want to cover or you the audience really want to cover i'm sure we could fit that in 
we are starting today with uh, Amazing Adventures and their run of Killraven. But some of the, the titles that we'd like to, to look at are the original run of Guardians of the Galaxy, Master of Kung Fu, Son of Satan, uh, Marvel when they had the, the uh, license to uh, publish Godzilla, the 1970s run of Doctor Strange, the original uh, run of Silver Surfer, Shogun Warriors, Deathlock, Werewolf by Night, Tomb of Dracula, one of my favorites, the uh, Marvel run of Star Trek, Rom Space Knight, Micronauts, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Eternals, and Monster Frankenstein. Right, and some of these runs are rather long, so maybe what we'll be doing is uh, maybe taking the first ten issues and, and going through that and trying to determine whether that's it's, it's worth it to, to keep progressing on that pack or whether we should just switch over to uh, another storyline somewhere else. Um, but there is... I, you know, I, I can't help but wonder if there is going to be like some sort of unspoken like fourth rule of, for criteria here, because so far I think a prevalent thing in what we've seen with Kill Raven is uh, bondage outfits that look like they came out of a 1960s S&M mail order catalog. I, I was hoping that's what you were going to specifically pull when you said looking at Kill Raven. <laughs> yes, was his fun party garb. <laughs> so speaking of kill raven i wanted to give a little bit of background on the character character of kill raven uh he was created for marvel comics by roy thomas and neil adams and gary conway um his whole world that he lives in it's definitely it's based off of hg wells and his war of the worlds and it's liberally credited throughout the series as such um, oh yes yes he debuted in May of 1973, and he ran in The Amazing Adventures until uh, he, his run ended in November 1976 with issue 39. Um, he, uh, Marvel Comics had its first interracial kiss in issue 31 between two of its characters. Um, with that original run, there was also... Uh, he was featured in uh, Marvel Team-Up, where Spider-Man traveled to the far future and helped him uh, fight some Martians. Um, there were several series that never were really created to continue his story. It wasn't until 2001 Marvel did a one-shot featuring the character. Then he had a small mini-series called Kill Raven Volume 2 in 2002. Uh, he was in a Marvel Zombies 5 issue 2 in, uh, uh, in 2010 and also featured in... Issues 4 to 6 of Avengers Volume 4 in 2010. He was briefly seen in uh, the uh, newer Invader series in 2013. And that's... As were his nipples. Yeah. <laughs> and again, if I missed any anything, or if you would like to correct anything here, if any readers, and, or I should say listeners, want to write in and give us additional information or clarify a point I got wrong, we will send you a no prize. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that was a good, good summary. Thank you. It all didn't come from a Wikipedia page, I assure you of that. I had Not at all. Me and our research team, we were diving into the back issue bins and kicking down doors and leads on the street to compile that information. Many people were bribed with Cheetos to get this. 
Okay, I guess that actually takes us to um, the main event here. What brought people to the show is to hear our commentary on uh, Kill Raven, the his first appearance in this um, eighteen or the May 1973 issue of Amazing Adventure. Had a cover price of twenty cents. Um, scripted by Gary Conway, art by both Neil Adams and Howard Chaikin. Inked by F. Cheramonte, letterer is S. Or I'm sorry, J. Constanza, and coloring was by P. Goldberg. Uh, do you have any thoughts as we're looking at this great cover? Um, you know, as I'm looking at the great cover here, the first thing I thought was Vera de Milo, and it, it, it grabbed me right away. I looked at this and I thought Vera de Milo. And for, for those people that don't know who Vera de Milo is, Vera de Milo is a fictional character from the uh, In Living Color sketch comedy series that was on, uh, I guess, uh, my research team sucks compared to Mark. Uh, like late 80s, mid 90s, somewhere around there, you know, the Wayans Brothers and all that. And James Carey, Jim Carey, see, my research team sucks. Jim Carey played a character named Vera de Milo who was a steroid-abusing, broad-shouldered, with a suspicious package, (laughs) female bodybuilder. And this was the kind of outfits, in my head, I thought she was wearing. And it really, it it didn't click until I was like, I was like, who is this character? And I looked and I found a picture of Jim Carrey actually strolling down the beach with his wife wearing a bikini that looked like this. I didn't realize that photo you sent was Jim Carrey. Um, yes. If we uh, if we create a website for this page or for this this uh, podcast, we'll have to be sure to include that image because I was startled how close. The only thing he was missing was the thigh high boots and exactly. the the silver stars on each side of his package. I know it's like he was cosplaying almost. That's absolutely what it looked like. Um, yeah, all he needed was the thigh highs, a freaking, you know, a sword and a freaking a laser pistol, you know, and, and of course he has to have the ultra hip freaking headband. I almost forgot his, his, um, somewhere between a headband and tiara looking headpiece, but just to give the, yeah. uh, the readers here, or I'm sorry, I keep doing that, uh, the listeners, a uh, bit of a background. Okay, this is a really... I really tremendously like this cover. We have Kill Raven in the foreground. And yeah, he's definitely wearing this half lingerie, half wrestling singlet costume with thigh highs and uh, and a headband. Yes. And what I first thought of when I saw his his costume was how uncomfortably close it is to Storm's first costume when she uh, premiered in two two years from now in Giant Size X-Men 1. It is definitely not the same costume, but it's something that if they both showed up to a party, it would be a little awkward. Yeah, it'd be definitely a little uncomfortable. And I didn't realize until the second issue that those stars weren't just decorative, that they're... Even though they're gold, yes. and they absolutely don't look like they'd be practical for throwing, they're throwing stars that I believe in the story were called silver stars. Okay, okay, first off, I, I mean, look at the outfit. Is there anything practical going on here? I, I have to say that that doesn't feel fair to me to say that. Maybe that is the premier costume of choice if you're fighting Martians 
uh, collaborators and cannibals in a and mutants in a uh, post-apocalyptic future. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I, I I really think that somebody, yeah, wh- whoever the, the the character designer was, um, what was his name? I'm sorry, you you got that one. Um, this was a three-way collaboration to create the character with uh, Roy Thomas, Neil Adams, and Gary Conway. Okay, whatever they were smoking or whatever insight they had, I feel it freaking totally looked into the future and gender flipped the whole like boob armor freaking debate that's been going on for the last couple of years and applied it on a guy. I I definitely agree that this cover uh, was very ahead of its time and did a good job with some predicting because just kill Ravens in the foreground with his storm like costume. He's got this future sword in one hand. He's got a laser pistol in another. And in the background, there's flames everywhere. You see buildings on fire. You see people on the rubble. And considering that this tale is supposed to take place in 2018, I appreciate that back in 1973, they were so, uh, so, so incredibly accurate in predicting Trump's America. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I do like the, the, the addition of, you know, the H.D. Wells freaking tripods from, from the War of the Worlds. Uh, you know, for, for someone that, that's loved old school sci-fi all my life, um, seeing that thrown in there, you know, definitely gives the, the classicness of this issue a, a, a lot of authenticity. You know, the juxtaposition of the, the whole, like, what they thought the future, what they thought our present was going to be at the time, uh, juxtaposed with the old school H.G. Wells uh, War of the World storyline, was was interesting. They are not alone here. The 1970s saw a few of these issues that would predict uh, a near future, uh, what the the Marvel. Uh, universe would look like when we get to that original run of guardians of the galaxy that's very much what we're looking at is a uh a future marvel that's within the uh you would see an apocalypse that would be within i want to it's been a while since i looked at the original guardians comics but i believe in the uh i think mid to late 1990s you see a uh um an invasion again another invasion take earth and again if i'm wrong because i haven't looked at the guardians for a while again no prize for anyone who corrects me but that's something that you'll see marvel uh heroes from the 70s time traveling and interacting with these post-apocalyptic characters from their near future and specifically um major victory who time traveled forward and then back because even though he was with the guardians he was an astronaut from uh, what they consider the, the current Marvel Universe, but I'm off on a tangent there. What I want to say was this cover was so amazing, and I enjoyed this comic so much that I actually purchased it off of eBay, and it's going to be going up on my wall. Holy shit. Yes. All right. Yes. So It, it is a, a very dramatic cover. I definitely dig it, but uh, I, I think uh, perhaps we've already... I think spent five minutes talking about the cover. <laughs> I think that that's, I mean, that's the moneymaker for the comic. That's something that if when a 10 year old was in the seven 11 looking at the rack, that's what was going to sell this issue. It, it definitely, it, it's very dramatic. It, it definitely, it's very eye catching. You know, it grabs your attention and it does make you wonder, you want to see what the hell is going on inside. 
Yeah, and it, it grabs your attention, and as soon as you pop this issue open, that first page, we have the bro, uh, prologue 2018 AD on the cover. That first opening page here, I mean, it's absolutely uh, dramatic. It starts out with steel on steel, and you have Killraven uh, wearing his super practical costume. He is just mowing down these guys, and we get some more context as we go about what exactly they're fighting about. Right. It, it is it is a great first page, and definitely it's it's a it's a really dynamic one. But uh, yeah, um, I I I like that it, it kind of it starts in the middle of a battle, and uh, you know that definitely gets your attention and and, and draws you in. And uh, you know the the dialogue uh, of him going after uh, the keeper, and apparently that's who he's chasing in the beginning of this. Yes, you know, kind of gives you a taste of what what the plot is going on behind here. Yeah, it's these first couple of pages. It's literally him and a couple of uh, his band known as the Free Men. And this issue is definitely one that they don't give you a lot these first few pages. It's just it's a running fight of Kill Raven and his uh, and his uh, band of Free Men just attacking these. What we later find out is they're human collaborators who are working for a scientist called the Keeper. But yeah, Killraven and the other Freemen, they're attacking these, uh, again, these collaborators. They're going after uh, the Keeper. They're going through what we looks like a, 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 a tunnel, a train tunnel. Uh, and again, everything's all broken. Everything's falling apart. And uh, they emerge into a destroyed Grand Central Station. And that's where Killraven now... Uh, again, it's you're really hit with the just the post-apocalyptic nature of this world. We have advertisements uh, in this crumbling Grand Central Station. I mean, that's a really the great product panel. placement is everything. Okay, man. Say that again. <laughs> product placement is everything. <laughs> exactly. That's how they got. That's how they kept Kill Raven going. Was that big Kodak money? And I'm sure that hey, Kodak yeah, exactly. appreciated the giant advertisement in the crumbling grand central station right before we're introduced to these two mutants who uh yes yeah who attack uh hey, hey, kodak is still relevant you know totally a relevant product now I mean, we all need film for our cameras right <laughs> so it looks like they didn't get everything uh uh, uh <laughs> predicted quite accurately but that's okay and again i love the design we see several mutants throughout this series and so as soon as Killraven fights his way uh, through the, the, the train tunnels and fights his uh, human uh, uh, antagonist. He makes his way to Grand Central Station, and he's uh, attacked by... There's a green, more humanoid mutant, and then there's a right. two-headed... But instead of, like, the side-by-side -side heads, it's, a, like, a bigger head with a smaller head on top. Um, more, um, like, it's a quadruped. You assume that maybe this was mutated from a dog or, you know, some sort of... Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if they get into that later in the series. Um, what exactly everything is mutated out of, or if these were both humans that their mutation took a different turn. But yes, we have these two mutants that uh, um, attack Killraven, and now we're introduced to the concept that uh, not only um, do the do the Martians and the scientists who work with them just um, turn people against uh, the free men or the people who are still alive in the society. They're creating these monstrosities. And we'll see some of the, some more of their creations later on in the series. Right, yeah, yeah. And it, it goes on to, you know, as he, he gets past these two mutants, and I, I did enjoy the quadruped one, you know. I mean, you know, the whole three-headed dog thing is so overdone. 
yeah, why not stack the heads in a vertical freaking assembly there? It's awesome. That was a cool choice. It was, yeah, definitely a great design choice. Uh, it, it goes on and show him trying to breach this uh, this keeper's lair, and uh, he he apparently apparently this laser pistol he has is I mean it takes the old freaking uh, the old DL forty four from uh, that Han Solo carries and blows it out the water apparently because this thing levels fucking walls. I I love that because yeah, there's a great scene where he just pulls the the pa- the pistol. Out. Plus the whole time he had this laser pistol. Never used it on the the uh, collaborators he was fighting the mutants. He preferred to handle everything hand to hand, and I think this really just shows a good job of showing or of, of just illustrating that Kill Raven. He's very capable. He's very comfortable in his abilities. Everything that he comes upon in this issue, he fights with no trepidation or pause. It's like he's unconcerned with every obstacle, and this comes out with the again after he uses that laser pistol. The keeper chides him for um, using the last bit of his energy in the laser pistol to breach that obstacle. Which again, not only does Kill Raven is he unconcerned that his enemy is taunting him that I still have all of my capabilities with, uh, say, energy weapons you have none. Kill Raven then turns that insult back onto him that only a scientist like you, only a weakling, would need a, a device like that. I am more than capable of killing you without it. Okay, so we're back to Trump's America, where scientists are freaking derided and freaking dismissed. <sighs> okay, <laughs> I, I gotta say that what that his anti-scientist attitude here, and I mean we understand very much. Like the story will show us later that a lot of the scientists have become collaborators, and we'll get more into why later. But that anti-scientist right. attitude it very much reminded me of that original V miniseries. Yeah. Whoa. Yes. But. I mean, we, we do learn that Killraven is not – he's not picking on the scientists for no reason. When he comes after the scientists, right. we learn that uh, just even in the dialogue that this is re- – he's cu- killing the scientist, the keeper, for revenge for something he did against Killraven and Killraven's brother. And this will all be elaborated on in a minute. Like I said, this, there wasn't a lot of exposition for the first several pages of this comic. This was something that really – we wanted to throw a lot of action to draw you into the story and then they were going to explain things later. Right, exactly. I mean, I mean every almost every panel up to this point ha- has been something that has been really dynamic and has has suggested uh, you know, a good range of movement and action and, and it kind of keeps drawing you in with the dialogue kind of kept to a minimum because I, you know, I don't think they've even told you what time it is. At this point, um, I, I mean, looking at it and, and him making reference to Grand Central Station, you know, as someone that, that grew up in New York, I, I'm like, okay, so this has to be some sort of post-apocalyptic scenario, but they still haven't given you a year to tie, tie everything off to. Um, the very first page, we get a, a prologue 2018, but yeah, that's... that's oh, that's, damn it! <laughs> that's Okay. And that, that, I totally skipped that. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, that's why it's nice to have two eyes on this because there's always going to be something that maybe one of us misses or uh, when we're going through our read-through didn't necessarily stand out. And again, that's yeah, why I invite any out. readers who have these issues or there is an essential collection they released about 10 years ago that reprinted these. Anything we miss or misunderstand, write in and you'll get your no prize. <laughs> um. 
Okay, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just glossed right past that freaking that that twenty eighteen probably because I'm already thinking about twenty eighteen being right around the corner. I, I have read this issue three times now in preparation, so I've I've definitely yeah, I, I think I every time I picked up something a little bit more than I saw that previous time. Um yeah, the scientist guy, the keeper, in all of his dialogue, he seems to be a very cruel and an evil person. So we see, I, I love this scene, his death scene here, where I don't know what this is that Killraven picks up, but it looks like this, it's a great, it's supposed to be just a piece of debris, it looks like, yep. but it's this great, like, techno spear, and it looks like it would have yep. no other purpose than to piercing this old man's heart, and that's exactly what he uses it for. And with Pretty a big much. chunk, it just sticks right into his heart, kind of reminding you that Pre the mid 1980s, pre or even the the early to mid 1980s, the Jim Shooter era, where you were deaths were kind of kept off scene. This old man, this frail old man, he just totally straight through the heart has this like three foot spear. Just like this guy can't weigh more than 98 pounds, just gets it like right Wet. through the heart. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, uh, as they say, no fucks given. He he he. he... You can tell Killraven is pissed, oh, yeah. and he does not care. But the uh, I don't know if you want to call it the, the keeper's monologue at the end because it does feel like he was kind of going into the whole monologue. You know, I'm the bad guy, and I'm going to explain to you why I did what I did. And and even as he goes further on into his explanation, which we can dive deeper even into that. Um, he, he throws the little twist that he was compelled to do what he did. Even before we get to his, that we find out he's still alive there, I love the last panel after Killraven thinks he murders the scientist. Killraven, a man obsessed, a man with a mission. Now that that mission is over, why is it then that he feels so empty? And I, the, you see a little bit of that in both this and definitely that next issue. There's a cerebral side to Kill Raven where he reflects on his actions and the worth of a man and what is revenge. And I like that throughout all his Conan style, I just murdered like nine beans in two pages. He takes that quiet minute for reflection on his, uh, on this revenge that he'd been on for, we find out for years really right. left him empty. But yeah, you're absolutely right. We think the scientist is dead because he's 90 pounds and just got stabbed through the heart. But then <laughs> he unexpectedly, he put, he he lifts up his head and he's, he, he thanks Killraven uh, for what he's done. And yet you learn, and they're very vague about this, but he says that he, he was compelled to do what he did. And he vaguely hints at that he was being controlled in some way. Right. Which, you know, <clears throat> Uh, I I kept looking for more indications of that further in, and I really wasn't seeing it there. So that makes me wonder: was he really compelled, or was he is he just freaking spinning a little something? But you know, there, you know, we've only read the first two issues, and there's a lot more going on here than than is meeting the eye, and it has been explained to us thus far. Yeah, I, I definitely like. I'm, I'm willing to take him at the, the at his word because I mean, his very, his affect, his words, how he interacts with Kill Raven definitely changes post spear through the heart. And uh, 
which he hangs on for a while. The whole, almost the entire rest of the issue is uh, this old man, the keeper, flashing back and giving us basically background on what happened. And he's very free yeah. with the information, and you can tell he he's giving this to Kill Raven for a purpose that he's he's educating Kill Raven so Kill Raven can be more effective at what he does. Right, which brings us to the whole H.G. Wells tie-in. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And Marvel has done a couple of these throughout the years where they've done, like, Elseworlds. Well, that's what DC calls them. But there's other, uh, in the multiverse, they've interfaced with other worlds that um, the Martians have invaded. It's definitely something that, that reoccurred throughout Marvel Comics. So I like that we get a nice H.G. Wells tie-in here where, yep, that 100, he explains to us that uh, 100 years ago, the Martians had landed outside London. The tripods came. And you were absolutely right. I love those designs of the tripods with the long, ganky legs uh, mm-hmm. and the classic uh, saucer with the little beam emitter on an antenna. <laughs> yep. And so the tripods came, and they were kicking ass. Um, they're destroying um, turn-of-the-century London. Uh, and... I think most of you are going to be familiar with the story of War of the Worlds. They were unstoppable. However, where no uh, weapons created by man could defeat them, they were they had no immunity to Earth bacteria, and they right. were, they were killed. Um. So, man, uh, humans, we survived. We were triumphant uh, over the Martians. However, we learned that not all the Martians were killed, that there were some Mar- uh, Martians that remained alive on Mars. And they, and we learned that they were, they returned 100 years later, uh, more prepared than they were the first time. So now they come back, they've gotten immunity. Um, and the first thing they do is destroy mankind's, uh, nuclear stockpile. Yep. And basically take out our first strike capabilities. Right. And I, I, I like the fact that, okay, you know, the nuclear stockpile is basically destroyed. So what does uh, humanity fall back on? Biological warfare. And, and the panels that show it are, you know, I, as I read them, all I could hear is like, um, all I could hear is the, the whole little um oh geez, the, the little robot chicken spoof on m night uh Land's freaking movies <laughs> you know the the little guys popping up in the corner of the little freaking movie theater in my head going oh what a twist because they try biological warfare knowing that you know the martians had uh, uh, you know basically an immunodeficiency to, to earth uh microorganisms and the, the panel shows them hitting gassing them with all with, with all these bombs and everything and the giant gas cloud rolling over the tripods. It looks really great. I mean, granted, it's only a small two or three panels, but it looks really dramatic. And then the hilarious part is when the wind blows and blows the gas cloud clear of the tripods, which are still standing and perfectly unfazed, back at humanity. Yeah, they didn't really humanity, think that through. <laughs> yeah, if humanity, in our typical short-sightedness, did not think of having created some sort of immunity to our own freaking weapons and they proceeded to not you know help the martians along by killing themselves with their biological warfare um what i'm noticing now in this read through i didn't notice before 
is the guy in the center panel here who's kind of clutching his 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 throat and he's got the sores all over his face. Yeah, Scabies guy. That, that's his character name. Yeah, Scabies guy. Scabies guy. The sores on his face look very similar to the scabies that uh, we see on the sirens later on in the issue. Which, when we get there, I want to call that back. But that's definitely, it's the same shape, and it's, it looks like the same coloring. So I think that's, I'm not sure if that's intentional uh, or not on the artist's part, but that very much is a very similar looking sore. Which was my yes, nickname that, in high school, the... by the way. <laughs> I, I thought those were the goddess of a purple Martianade source. <laughs> so I definitely look forward to because I think we're going to spend a little bit of time on those sirens. Yeah, I think I think we are, and you know, uh, moving right along, um, you know, the, the, the there's basically a drawn out conflict at first where you know you're having many many great acts of bravery, and you know, there's like great panels uh, of people you know doing some pretty fantastic activities like uh you know defending other people and uh there's one of some pilots that you know some bomber pilots or i don't know if they're airline jet pilots or something but they're basically kamikazing into these freaking tripods while looking looking like the first stages of like when the arc is opened in Indiana Jones and, and their face starts melting, it looks like the preliminary stage of the face melting from the arc. I'm glad that you drew attention to that. Dude, I don't know what this dude has going on, but it does not look comfortable. And his co-pilot, his co-pilot looks like freaking, um, oh my god. He looks like Mr. McFurley from freaking Three's Company in the background. <laughs> Just caught Jack like boning another dude or something. I don't know. The look on his face as this guy's skin is slowly sloughing off. It is just like, oh shit, what are you doing, man? And he's like, no, I'm 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 gonna go kamikaze into this freaking uh this freaking tripod here because uh I'm dying and I don't care who's coming with me. The 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 main pilot there, I absolutely agree with you. What I read him as is he looks like a like a, a figure at a wax museum melting uh, melting, and yes. the guy in the background, the Mister. As soon as you said it, yeah, I absolutely see. He looks a lot like Mister. Furley, but yeah, he looks like a zombie. If you had told me, like if you would, if we'd seen him in a panel attacking Killraven and uh, saying brains, you could have absolutely used that same character without altering yep. anything. Well, the hat is what you know made the Mister Furley reference for me, dude. Because I'm seeing him, I'm also seeing him on on that old, old, old show. Oh, Jesus, black and white, I forget. Um, the Andy Griffith show. Yes, the Andy Griffith show. Yes, we've just that's exactly it. With those two references to three, Mister Furley was a character from Three's a Company, and now we're talking about uh. Uh, Andy Griffith. We're we're assuring that no that the show is completely just just unrelatable to anybody. I'd say under thirty. Oh uh, well, <sighs> yeah. I, I think you know we are who we are. <laughs> hey, they they can they can they can Google it. Exactly, Google that shit, Mister Furley. Okay, trust me, it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, so yeah, you're right. The the conflict scenes here are great. We see that the the aliens, there's no stopping them. That right. even though there's these great uh, sacrifices, there's some great bravery. They just they were prepared. 
Uh, they were more advanced, and they just swept over mankind. Um, we see on a page that Manhattan, Boston, San Francisco, they're all in flames. And this is where we're introduced to Kill Raven's mother. Um, you see her. She's got two small children. They're trying to evacuate New York. And, again, it's the future. So what would a woman yep. in the future be dressed in during an, apoc- like a, an, a, an apocalypse happening right now? And she's trying to get her two small children out of the city. Uh, she, a bikini with an exposed midriff. Yes, exactly. She's wearing a tight like yes. bikini bathing suit with the belly button cut out, and then it's like she has pearl necklaces like on each each thigh, and then she's wearing yes. like high heels. Of course. Well, no, there's, I, I wouldn't call those high heels. Uh, I w- I would call those you know functional heels. Yeah, functional. They're they're not too high. They're they're they're, they're mom heels. They're 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 mom sensible work shoes when she's going to work there at the uh, to sell a house that day as a real estate agent. In her bikini with the belly button cut out. Yes. Exactly. And the long sleeves. And the long sleeves. You know. You know. Maybe. Okay. Let's give. Let's give her some credit. Maybe with the apocalypse happening, you know, she she was getting ready for work and she just did not have time to put her pants on. <laughs> If you would, if this was James Bond's like girlfriend, and they were about to go scuba diving, that's exactly what she would wear. If she Damn, was like, right. "I'm a Soviet spy. I'm helping James Bond. This is my this is my wetsuit." That would absolutely be what I would expect a a, a a super spy, a female super spy, to wear. Yep, yep, absolutely. You're on it. So, um. <laughs> kill raven's mom she's not uh the 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 tripods take out the bridge uh she gets to welfare island where she hopes that they are safe uh we learn that uh kill raven here his name is jonathan and that his mom is maureen um so as soon as they get to welfare island and i'm not as familiar with new york as you are do you do you know can you tell us more about uh uh welfare island i guess that's not fair to throw that out in the middle of the podcast I have no freaking clue what where this welfare island is. Um, I I don't because uh, it it could be maybe Roosevelt Island because it, it it shows it as kind of being underneath a bridge, roughly. So maybe it's Roosevelt Island because I think the Brooklyn Bridge or one of the, one of the bridges I know passes over Roosevelt Island. I, I did uh, research ahead of time and not just now when you were talking, and it is Rose, Roosevelt Island. Damn, I'm good. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's like it's on the East River. It's between Brooklyn and Manhattan. It does have a bridge and trains that actually pass directly over it, so I can see it as being reasonably accessible for someone who's trying to escape on foot. Yeah, and, um, and the, more, the more striking thing I remember is there used to be uh, – a tram that went there, not you know, not, not like uh, cable cars. It, it used to have a, an old cable car system that went there. You know, kind of like uh, again, referencing the James Bond movie, but I think it was, um, uh, I think it was um, Moonraker, one of, one of one of the ones that had Jaws in it. Uh, there was a big fight on one of those cable cars in the mountains, and it had a system like that going from the Manhattan side to the island itself, if I remember it correctly. Yeah, I didn't. I did not know that. I didn't. I wouldn't have pictured cable car with New York. Yeah, it it, it was there. <laughs> so I like that. Even though that this is like the middle of that preliminary conflict, they think that they're safe, but then they're attacked by a mutant, and then this badass 
uh, Dr. Carver comes out of nowhere and shoots the mutant in the back. Which, again, I think that this is really kind of breaking the trend of what a lot of what you would see in depictions of African-American women at the time. She's a doctor. She's clearly in charge of the situation. I mean, she just does not hesitate to take out that, uh, that zo- or they, I almost called it a zombie, that mutant, and shoot it in the back. But we learn that Dr. Carver was a doctor who uh, worked at the, the hospital and that this almost werewolf-looking mutant was one of the, she calls it an inmate. It's really a weird mm-hmm. way to describe, say, somebody who was in the, ho- in the hospital system. I'm, I took this to be, this was somebody who was, this was a mental hospital, and this was somebody who was a, a patient there. That's a really weird way to call them a or to call them an inmate. But yeah, the inmate was mutated. Uh, all the inmates were mutated, and she's been trying to survive there ever since. Right, and you know one thing I did notice about Dr. Carver, <clears throat> she is sensibly dressed for the occasion. <laughs> My notes say Dr. Carver sensibly dressed or more sensibly dressed. I love that we both hit that entirely. <laughs> It's <laughs> exactly the she's, same thing. Yep, she is absolutely. I mean, uh, she she's absolutely looks like she she's ready to deal with this uh, apocalypse here. I mean, you know, full fully clothed. Yeah, I mean, not fully clothed. I mean, fully covered though. Yes. You know, there's no exposed skin anywhere except for like her hands and her head, and that's it. She's actually in several of these panels. She's wearing gloves. So yeah, she was ready to go put in oh, some work. You're right. Yeah, the hoop earrings may have been a bad idea, but other than that, yeah. I mean, yeah, she is. It looks like there's fur around the collar of her coat. I mean, she was, you know, I want to dress warmly. I want to uh, cover my right. skin. Yeah, and, and she does have her OSHA freaking mandated safety goggles on too. Absolutely. So yeah, she was. She's she was to ready rock. to rock. It's all right. No cross-contamination going on over here. At, Dr. Carver is on it. Yep. And she got her hospital issued, I'm sure. It looks like a... It's hard to see. It looks like a, an AK-47 without a uh, a bear, or without a stock on it. So, yeah, she's got her machine gun. She's got fully clothed. She she came ready to rock. Yeah, well, I mean, in a hospital where they call the patients inmates, I, you bet your ass they're going to have some sort of freaking... Uh, weaponry for the freaking staff there yeah we're already seeing some or again maybe that's that's the world we're moving to in 28 or i guess this was pre-2018 but yeah uh, they were already ready to go for that world uh pre-martian so that's good for them oh um, yeah they're ready for it yeah we learned that kill raven's mom her name her full name was maureen kill raven and that her and dr carver with uh kill raven with uh jonathan and his brother uh Wait, 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 hold on. Was it Maureen Killraven or just Maureen Raven? Oh, I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. It was Maureen Raven. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and... Because the Killraven part comes later. Absolutely. Yeah, you you get your no prize. <laughs> All right. So they stayed two weeks raiding the hospital for food, and then on the 15th day, a helicopter shows up, and... I, I think they it's designed very weirdly. I think they thought that was going to be a, a, a nice futuristic design for a helicopter there's it's anything but no it's a freaking gyroplane yeah that's exactly what it looks like it it looks like a a gyroplane but that somebody tried to put like a half-ass futuristic uh uh just uh yeah yeah just spin on i like Gy- the- gyrocopter there you go it's it's a freaking it, it, it's a it's a futuristic gyrocopter where it incorporates uh, elements of the old P-38 Lightning design with the twin booms and everything. And it's, you know, 
it looks cool, but when you really look at it, you kind of realize that you guys could have done better than that. Yeah, I, I like the cartoony tiny wheels on the bottom of it. Yep. I mean, it looks like they just took those right off an office chair. I mean, that's just <laughs> just really a bizarre design. Of stuff. Yeah, they're they're cat they're little caster wheels, so you can push the thing into the little parking spot when you're done. With it. That's exactly it, because that that you wouldn't want something bigger on. But anyway, that's. It's so you can get it closer to the wall to plug it in to charge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So they uh, this helicopter shows up, and um. Yeah, Doctor Carver. She's got her weapon out. She's ready. As soon as something sticks its head through the door, you know she's got the business yeah. end of her her rifle. She up. is fucking ready to Jackie Brown the shit out of <laughs> anyone that gets on her turf. Yeah, okay? you. She was a very likable character. And oh yeah. Two men pop out, um, oddly dressed. One is wearing a yellow uh, a gym or a, a, a suit. A, a it's like a tracksuit. Tracksuit with blue stripes. And then the other guy, who we learn is the younger version of the scientist, the keeper, he's got a, uh, looks like a too large giant shirt on with a, uh, a green scarf. So, yeah, they... That's exactly what I, I think people in the post-apocalyptic future, again, would be wearing. But, uh, hey, when I think villains, I think green scarves, okay? <laughs> well, that, who, you know who doesn't think green scarf is in, uh, with villain is Dr. Dr. Carver and Maureen. Because as soon as they see that they're humans, they let their guard down and they go out to, to meet the, the, uh, these two men to learn how the war with the Martians is going. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yay, we're saved. We're saved. And then, and then comes that little guy. Yep, that little guy that pops his head up and he goes, "What a twist!" And yeah, the the guy with the yellow uh, tracksuit, his uh, rifle makes a scree sound. It's, it's, you, know, it, you know, can you say that again? Sh- what, what sound does it make? I sure can. It's it's very clearly a scree <laughs> sound. And Doctor Carver and Maureen, they're done for. So what we have here is they came, they killed the women. What they're really interested in is the children, specifically Kill Raven. They say that uh, uh, his son is too young. The scientist encourages tracksuit guy just to do away with the kid, which he's totally cool killing people. But the baby, he seems less comfortable with. But it looks like presumably Kill Raven's brother is killed. But then we learn that they're taking Kill Raven and they're going to train him up. That's right. Now we cue in the freaking like the you know the '80s freaking Rocky montage, you know where he's beating up freaking hanging slabs of meat and and freaking pounding walls and running up you know stair. Wait, that doesn't happen. Does it? Uh, no, but we are taken uh uh back to where these collaborators live, and they're taken before a Martian, but we don't get to see a Martian because he's inside, and I quote. A floating egg-shaped shield to protect uh, these humans from seeing them because they're so presumably because they're so grotesque, and it's decided that Kill Raven will be trained as a gladiator to fight for the pleasure of the the Martians. Right, exactly. Because what does an advanced, uh, a technologically advanced species like more than anything else, making their lessers battle it out to the death, which explains the NFL. And they also do this behind their floating egg-shaped shield. Okay, we don't have that yet. <laughs> Which, I mean, that 
that that design is awesome. That's something that you would expect to see, like in a Kirby drawn like Fantastic Four issue from the '60s. That egg shield is just. It's a great, great. Uh, I've made fun of everything so far how it was designed in this issue. I love that egg shaped shield. But what I do like, okay, what I, yeah, you know, I like that it gives you the vague, the, the vaguest little hint at something Lovecraftian lurking below. Absolutely, you you get to tell kind of the shape of the thing, but nothing besides that. Exactly, exactly. It's a little egg-shaped shield. It's floating. It's got like two tentacly-looking things, you know, flippity-flopping outside. And it, it, it kind of like you're wondering what is it that lies beneath this, and it already gives you the hint of tentacles, and you're like, you know, I'm I'm thinking, okay, this is gonna be some like some some like totally warped-looking stuff that's gonna come out of this, and I'm actually anticipating this because I want to see what design they come up with that apparently was so abhorrent to people to look at that it would drive them mad, but is still able to be printed and published book in the 70s i want to see how they strike that balance yeah i definitely it left me with a lot of anticipation um we also learn why kill raven had such a hard on at the beginning of the issue for the for keeper it's because keeper was uh responsible for the death of kill raven's mother and brother right so okay now cue the montage bam right there yeah, boom, there it goes. You know, I have the Tigers freaking playing, you know, because apparently that's a classic now because in this universe it's 20... I, I guess Kill Raven's young, so maybe 20, 2010, roughly. Yeah, I, that, that sounds you know, fair. So, you know, I have the Tiger, maybe a little Bee Gees or something like that, you know, staying alive, you know. Maybe a little Twisted Sister fighting for his right to party and he's <laughs> training up like a boss. Yet we learn that he's uh, he's learning swordplay, karate, uh, wrestling, all sorts of stuff. Also, they're, they're basically, I mean, what kind of freaking idiots are they? They are honing this guy into a weapon. Yeah, his whole life, it's like Conan in the beginning of uh, the Conan movie. His entire life now is just, uh, we're going to make you the strongest guy around and then be surprised when you escape. But yeah, I mean, he's, they're turning him into a world-class warrior, and the the children as they're raised up as they're trained they get nicknames and kill raven gets his name cuz you see he's got like a belt around another guy's neck and he's choking him out and that's how he became kill raven yes kill 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 <laughs> so yeah he's getting into this he's totally you know he, he he's mastering his craft here uh you know he wore pants back then which was good you know maybe he just figured he got so confident with his skills that he's just like, you know, fuck this shit. I don't need armor. I don't need pants. You know what? Nothing can be more intimidating to an enemy than having some roided out dude in a mankini run screaming up at him with a future sword and a freaking laser pistol. We we definitely get to see him in some great uh, costumes this panel. <laughs> or this page. But it, when he, he eventually... As no surprise to anyone but the Martians and the collaborators they employ, they, they spent years honing him uh, into a weapon. So he takes some sort of, I can't tell if that's fu- a future sword or a laser chainsaw or what it's supposed to be, but he decapitates a robot and he, is out of, he climbs the wall and he's out of there. Jailbreak! Right, uh, and you can see, you know, he, he, 
I, I hate to keep coming back to the wardrobe, but I can't help it. He's escaping, and now he, he's got, like, something sensible going on here. You know, he's got the whole bow and arrow thing. He's hunting. He's surviving in the wild. He's rocking the fur, yep. you know. And, and, and you know, his, his boots are making sense here because it's not, like, the, the fuck me thigh highs. These are some, some like, knee-high boots with, like, a little bit of armor shielding for the knees and everything. You know, this, this looks like the garb of what you would consider a, a, a roguish warrior. Yeah, he he escapes. He spends about they say they, he spends twelve months in Queens, and he's eating and skinning dogs, cats, and rabbits. So yeah, he's wearing. Hey, you know what? Look, I grew up in Queens. Queens is fucking rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you absolutely hit it. His whole he's dressed from like neck to toe, and it's all like tabby cats and like terrier dogs that he'd found and eaten and he'd stitched all these little mammals together for his yep. fur ensemble and the boots like you said are a little bit more sensible instead of the full thigh highs if you guys are current marvel readers or marvel familiar uh elsa bloodstone definitely stole her boots here uh yeah because it's like the knee boots with the uh with the guards uh, that kind of come up, but yeah, he's got his bow and arrow. He's hunting your cats and dogs and uh, uh, turning them into his wardrobe. We also see a fun panel where he's he's sitting like a small child almost would, like like paging through a book on a floor. But we learn that he is uh, educating himself, um, uh, trying to pick up the knowledge that mankind has forgotten, trying to turn himself or hone himself into a better weapon. Right, exactly, and. Yeah, exactly. You, you you can't. He's trying. He's trying to learn about the war as it existed before the war on the worlds and what it is. You know, and this this speaks to that cerebral aspect of him that you you, you touched on earlier. Is you know he's learning about what humanity has lost. Is what it looks like to me here. Yes. You know, and uh, of course that's only going to serve to make him even more pissed off. Yeah. I think we see a little bit more of this in the second issue where he talks about what the measure of a man is. And I think that that philosophical side, you're absolutely right. That's coming from this panel here. And it says that, yeah, he is learning about the world before the war of the world. So I think he's educating himself yeah, in literature and philosophy. Right. Um, so Kill Raven's out there. He, he comes across more humans. These are collaborators who are collecting and enslaving other humans. We learn that uh, the Martians have created uh, these women called sirens that are able to control men uh, with these these hypnotic abilities. <clears throat> Kill Raven learned exactly. early on that to never that if you you never look at them you if you look at them you can uh, avoid their power. Giant boobs. <laughs> yes, a little bit. And again, they're they're dressed in bikinis as well. And the the slavers we see are wearing red tights or leggings and uh like these yellow poofy shirts so i really love the future com costuming every time we come across it um oh what's his name what's the oh name? man i'm you know what it reminds me of either like an old swashbuckling buckling pirate costume oh absolutely or oh i cannot remember the actor's name from the king and i the bald guy uh, reminds me, reminds me very much of like the garb he wore in that play. It, it's very, it's very like it, it's very much the romanticized look 
that we had of like the Caribbean pirates back in uh, I don't know what was that the 14 15 1600s somewhere around there I think it's definitely something that if you were a costumer in a Hollywood movie from 1930, if you saw, that's what you would, Errol, like, Errol Flynn, put this Errol on, Flynn. pirate. Yes, yes, Errol, yeah, exactly. It looks like something you, you would see Errol Flynn rock. Yeah, definitely. A good call. Oh. And, and moving on, we've got, uh... He builds a crude raft, and I, I love this. He heads across the bay to, quote-unquote, an island called Stanton. Oh, yeah. Well, that was before that. He, he ran into some basic. Uh, uh, they, they were free men, but they were kind of assholes. They were they were kind of assholes. They they kind of like you know we're, we're looking at like kind of more of a gang mentality where where just they're they're just like hey you know what out of these destitute bastards they're still managing to live on the land uh, with away from the Martians where basically stronger than any of them so we're just gonna you know enslave them use them for whatever we wish to do yep and and kill raven's not a big fan of that no no he proceeds to freaking you know knock a couple skulls about free a couple people and then like you said he uh he he kicks that guy in the neck and we get a nice pock sound (laughs) exactly and then he goes for the Gilligan's Island freaking trip and builds himself a boat and goes to an island called Staten, which, uh, you know what, uh, I, I, I've only ridden the ferry over there, so I can't tell you anything about Staten Island other than it's kind of like, it's kind of like the appendix of New York City. It's really just like an afterthought that no one really cares about. <laughs> which... You definitely see that attitude in these first couple issues because it turns out that Staten Island, it's like the, it's the headquarters, it's the, it's where the all the hideout of all the free men. So it's like the the Martians just never really bother with it. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's just like yeah, there's nothing going on over there on that Staten Island. Nothing at all. So yeah, apparently there's this whole thriving infrastructure of uh, of free men and. You know, they have a properly held democratic elections where you win by lopping off your opponent's hand <laughs> in uh, open combat, right? I mean, that's... that's, that's yeah, Kill Raven, that, that's, that's like the first panel we see. He comes over there, and the next panel is he's just cut off this, this guy's hand, and he looks very surprised. Yeah, yeah, the guy looks totally surprised. You know, Kill, Kill Raven hasn't even taken his backpack off. He's just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking here. I'm in charge now. Yeah, and Boom. that's absolutely what happens. He uh, he he comes over there. He's there for six years and becomes the leader of the free men. And uh, we're almost back up to uh, current times. We see that the free men, they steal a ferry. And the ferries are Ooh. used primarily by the slavers to carry slaves back and forth. And so they steal this ferry. And on New Year's Eve, they attack the mayor's mansion. And, right. Yeah, it's... This is great—a great scene. They have the mayor tied up on a, on his futuristic uh, uh, couch, and Kill Raven's in his super futuristic like lazy boy, and he's just got like yes. a woman on his lap, and they're all just partying, and you just see the mayor like tied up and looking very, very anxious. Okay, now I, I gotta say, Kill Raven's compatriots also suffer from this uh, either just an overconfidence of self or really poor wardrobe choice because <laughs> I really got to say his sidekick here uh, and you know maybe it could just be the 1970s tech here but I could swear I see what looks like a mustache on him so I'm going to assume this is his 
dude. That's absolutely a dude. Um, but uh, yeah, dude. If you take the lower half of this guy's attire, it basically reminds me of, and I know we're crossing over to DC here, but it reminds me of like the older Black Canary outfit minus the fishnets. Yes, absolutely. It's got yeah. the pirate boots and yeah, tights. Yeah, the pirate boots and everything, and then yeah, exactly. And, and, and another thing that draws an attention is like. Other than Dr. Carver and Maureen, I mean, this is probably, and the Sirens, this is the only other contact we see with a female in this comic book. And immediately she's all over Killraven. Well, yeah, he's lopping people's heads off, he's, or hands off, he's stealing fairies. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, so I mean, I, I definitely could see, but he's in his modern costume, and yeah, she is just loving it. But yeah, that, that guy you were describing... He's got a red, like, puffy shirt on, and then it looks like he's wearing a bikini bottom with pink tights on underneath it with pirate boots. Yes. So it, it's futuristic Errol Flynn. Yes. And we learn that it's that it's New Year's Day now, 2017. So we're almost up to the, the present time. But, yeah, I, I yeah. love that costume. And maybe that's why the mayor is so anxious, because the guy with the blue costume on has his arm around him, and then the guy with the pink uh, costume, you know, he's got his knee up, you know, right next to him. So I don't know. <laughs> These guys, it looks like they're, they're, they're definitely in his space, and he looks very uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah he does not look very pleased with the situation uh, as, he, as he stands. Which, um, it, it makes sense, then, why he's so angry at Killraven in that next page. Yeah, he looks pretty furious. Uh, or, or, or is this a... Is this a painting of the guy it looks like it's a painting but it's definitely he's it's like it's he's on television which in this post-apocalyptic world we haven't seen people who actually live inside homes besides him or who have like running water or electricity so it's weird that he's going on like the martian news channel and like putting out a bulletin that like it kill ravens this infamous like terrorist like this all points bulletin that uh that right. yeah like kill him on sight or or whatnot so it's I don't know but apparently I guess it did work because Kill Raven wherever they are does see his uh the bulletin and and laughs about it yes he does have a good a good a good mirthful chuckle about it uh and seems pretty pretty pleased with himself he and he uh, surely does and he kind of explains some of his motivations uh, you know he doesn't he doesn't care about the money aspect of robbing these bastards he uh he's he's more about the revenge. Yeah. So, Kill Raven's a vengeful dude. Uh, that he is. So this gets us caught up to where we started uh, the book with, uh, you know, with this scene. Of, I mean, this is basically all the keepers kind of flashing back, you know, with a little more exp- with a little more exposition built in, kind of by Kill Raven flashing back a little bit here, and, and now we are back into what. We're they're the present with Killraven standing over the keeper who uh, has been forcibly impaled by the metal knot spear. Yeah, the scientist admits he's being controlled against his will. Even exactly. even when he chose Killraven for the, the games. Um, this really, he doesn't really explain what any of this means, but he says that uh, he tells Killraven that he's special, that he can destroy the Martians and he has the power. Which, I mean, these are all very, uh, I mean, these are very extraordinary claims, and they're not given any sort of depth or explanation. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're chosen. Well, what the hell am I chosen for? You can defeat the Martians. You've got the power. And, and, and it, what power? What is his power? I'm 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 assuming that they're going to elaborate on this in later issues. <clears throat> we see a little bit of about a little bit of this, I think, in in uh, issue two. But yes. Kill Raven is uh, thinking about all of this, and then out of nowhere, a bl- or a a green mutant attacks him from behind. Which I'm a big yeah, fan of can. that design. And you know, and I I I I, I love the sense of energy that the panels carry with it. I mean, again, without being super overt about it, you know, it's a very dramatic, very, very dynamic, very just, like, aggressive-looking panel where you've got the green mutant just freaking leaping and lunging at Kill Raven, and, and, and Kill Raven is, you know, it, like, catches him mid-counter move, you know, and, and it, frankly, I mean, it looks like an epic one-on-one boss battle, which, of course, shortly turns into, you know, of course, Kill Raven's going to destroy this freaking I think that mutant is my favorite character design this issue. It's you see he's got like two toes on his feet like Nightcrawler. When you get a close up of his head, it's misshapen and it almost looks like his mouth. It's like there's strands of skin from his top and bottom lips. So, I mean, it looks like his, you know, his, his mouth, it's almost like it's, it's trying to like heal itself closed. So trying to fuse itself closed again or something. So it just, it, what he reminded me of with that and like the green uh, loincloth, it's it's like the jolly green giant if he was dying of like radiation poisoning. But I mean, it's just it's it's such a, a great just those little touches like the strands of skin on the mouth. I just I loved it a lot. It he doesn't last very long, like you said. Kill Raven gets him in a counter move and snaps his neck. Right. But uh, Kill Raven unfortunately was so busy with the mutant he doesn't see it until it's too late. There's three sirens right in front of him. Yes, and, and you know this last panel is it's maybe a quarter page panel, and it, it, it shows our, our three buxom sirens over here, but you know all doesn't seem to be well with the sirens. They they seem to, you know, be be suffering some gonococcus or something yeah. going on here. Yep, yeah, they've got the pink sores that the melt. Uh, yeah, the guy they, had. they've got those. Yeah, like the, like like the the, the bioweapon guy earlier on. They've got these funky pink sores. Yeah, you know, um, on on the sirens here, it looks like the sores are a little larger, and kind of like I don't know, maybe like lesions or blisters or giant hives. I don't know what's going on. I'm sure his. It, it, you know, oh, go ahead. It, it definitely, yeah, you know, it definitely detracts from the allure here. <laughs> I'm I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that they're walking around this post-apocalyptic wasteland barefoot. But yeah, all the three of them, they're just wearing bikinis. And I love that lead one. She's got her arms up above her head and running it through her like long red hair. It's a very, you can tell she's going for a very seductive pose, all three of oh, them. Oh yeah, are. with the whole freaking butt freaking sticking out, kind of just jutting out there like, hey, big boy. You know, never mind, she's already, she's a siren, so I'm going to assume there's some sort of telepathic power here, which is why everyone was compelled to freaking follow them around and listen and get enslaved. Yeah. You know, but she's adding that hip thrust for good measure. She's definitely you can tell she knows what she's doing, and it's because these are not just any sirens; they're the sirens of Seventh Avenue. Boom! 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 <laughs> I I I thought that was a great first issue. I I really enjoyed it. 
think that uh, great. It, it did a good job of giving us exposition, but not getting bogged down with it, and everything just kept the story moving forward. Right. Agreed. It, it definitely uh, the the pacing felt pretty good. It 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 it, it kind of seemed to kind of fall in kind of like a quick little almost like a three act scenario where you had the first act with the running fight. Second act was kind of your exposition, and then you had a really short conclusion with the brief, you know, battle with the mutant, and then, you know, the what a twist moment. Oh, here's the sirens. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, You ready to knock out issue two real quick? Uh, let's do it. I think we've got a good flow going on now, yep. so uh, let's go for it, and uh, let's start with the cover. I love this cover. There's a lot. It's a busy cover. It's a lot going on. This is the July issue of uh, um, Amazing Adventures. Uh, it's issue 19. Again, it's 20 cents. Last issue was May, so we had uh, a couple months for them to, 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 to put this out and get it right. Right. Yeah, and, and you had mentioned something about the art team changing up between the first two issues. Yeah, the first issue had both Howard Chankin and Neil Adams. The second issue just has uh, Howard Schenken. The script by Gary Conway again. Uh, um, Howard Schenken artist with Frank. Oh, it's both Frank uh, Howard Schenken and Frank uh, uh, McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Jay Costanza McLaughlin? is a letter. What's that? McLaughlin. Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, P. Goldberg is colorist. Roy Thomas is editor. And again, it's been adopted by Roy Thomas from the novel by H.G. Wells. Right. Now, uh, this cover, again, it's keeping with... Uh, you know, I, honestly, I would have expected this cover more to, to be a panel inside the book. Because the issue one cover, it was very striking. It was very... It, it wasn't very dynamic it, it, it wasn't there wasn't a lot of action going on yeah you had you know flames in the background and tripods and kill raven standing you know rather brashly in the foreground just looking really bold on this one instead of like kind of like uh what what can only be described as like a posed shot a posed illustration this one is more this one's got more action going on in here i mean We've we've got fighting. We've got we've got more mutants and uh, definitely more colorful mutants. And we've got more mutant dogs. I mean, you've got to have more mutant dogs. You have more more mutants than you can shake a stick at. I love exactly. I love and two, mutant dogs with horns. Yep, the dog has a horn. I like the two green unidog. ones. They have the sores on them that we've seen last issue, and then they have prosthetic spear hands. Exactly. Yes. Thank you for calling that out because I was going to run with that one too. Prostate spear spear hand guy, who apparently can. Uh, it looks like his prosthetic spear hand is also a projectile. Yes. Uh, Kill Raven being the badass that he is, the the, the cover is him it, swinging and freaking just you know like totally Jedi blocking that damn freaking projectile uh, like a lightsaber to laser bolt. Um, and then you even have uh, you know we've got some mutant diversity going on here. We've got some purple mutants too. And apparently there's some blue ones, because if you, if you look over in the lower left of the corner, it looks like a blue mutant uh, is, is basically laid out on the He's corner. laid out. Laid out. I do like the detail, man, because 
I remember seeing those damn curb your dog signs all over the streets. <laughs> and you know, off to the right, you've got you've got the uh, you know the the sirens of Seventh Avenue. Yeah, just watching. Yeah, from almost like they look like bleachers or just just watching for a remove, just enjoying the action. It, it looks like they changed their clothes and they got some skin treatment because I'm not seeing the lesions anymore. Yeah, the, the, the sirens on the cover are now wearing blue costumes, which aren't actually too dissimilar from Kill Ravens. Right. Hey, fashion sense, man. Um, Talking about the, the sirens in their costume, when you open the book and we leave off like uh, just exactly where we left off with... Uh, Issue 18, issue 19 opens up with the three sirens, and these are definitely not the same three sirens we saw before. And Kill Raven has these cool uh, wrist uh, or sweatbands on his wrist that have throwing stars that I didn't notice last issue. But yeah, these three sirens, <clears throat> their their skin cancer is gone. Um, mm-hmm. one is wearing a bikini with boots. The other one is wearing a negligee and the other one, it's almost like she's dressed like a combination of Indian princess and red Sonia. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about the one with the green, like whatever monstrosity she's got going on over here. Okay. Okay. The art team here. Um, I really think they didn't quite get the anatomy of this chick quite right. <laughs> no, they did not. Because, I mean, I don't know what's going on with her hips and her ass. And, like, you can see kind of her back of her leg on one side, but she's also rocking, like, the starving Ethiopian child belly. It's all, like, swollen and distended. And, you know, I mean, kudos on the first two, but on this last one, yeah, I know. She's three-quarters of her is hidden behind Kill Raven, but really, we could do that. I'm almost wondering if that was done intentionally because of how, like, his arm is, is covering up her, her breasts. His leg is covering up her entire lower body. And he's in a weird pose. I'm wondering if they posed him so far in the foreground and in that weird pose just to cover up, like, how weirdly she's designed. Maybe. Maybe. And, and looking at Kill Raven and his, his marvelous mankini, I'm just going to call it mankini for now. Works for me. Uh, you know, you, you get a little bit more of a clue as far as his weaponry. Um, you know, you've got the stars, which we were alluded to earlier, which I, uh, I believe this issue a little later on we're going to see in use. Oh, we sure should but do. I, I didn't catch that. If you look up on the back of his headband, it looks like he's got two throwing knives kind of attached back there. Yes, and I would have to imagine that would be very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, it's either that or sometimes maybe he needs to put his hair in a bun and he needs chopsticks and I'm not sure. One of the two. Just seems like he could have put those in his backpack. But yeah, I love that they took the time to show us more of his headband. And like you said, it's the two knives on there. And there's whatever this little sling deal he's got going on hanging off the right hip. I'm not sure what that's about. I, I, I'd love to see a little more oh, more about that. You're absolutely right. Because at first I thought maybe that was just a pouch like a, to put something in. But I wonder if that's actually like a sling, like a David and Goliath sort of sling that he can sling things with i don't know we haven't gotten we don't get to see it used yet so i don't know we'll have to stay tuned yeah yeah but and he's definitely rocking the fucking books love it so onward we've got uh oh just just got the siren just one thing too that now that we're calling all this stuff out look at his right hand 
It looks like his index finger is broken. No, no, he's in the middle of giving someone the shocker. <laughs> well, I mean, finger. you've got the three sirens there. He's clearly surprised, and what's his first thing he's going to go to? I'm going to hit you with the shocker. Yeah, I I definitely think that would surprise them. I don't think any man has ever stood up to them because of their power. Exactly. So, moving on, I, exactly, we've got, like, a, I, I guess we can call her Siren, Brunette Siren, with the freaking, uh, the red Sonya fur bikini danglet thing. I, I don't know. Uh, but she's totally rocking her psi, her, her, uh, her telepathic powers and trying to bend our hero to her will. Um, so I want to point out, too, that we didn't get a good timeline that first issue, and this very first caption box gives us 2018 AD, 17 yes. years after Earth has lost its final war. So now we have 2001 was when the war was fought and lost. Damn you, Stanley Kubrick. So yeah, I I really like that that the, the siren you were talking about. Her design that's by far the best of the three. I, I, I oh yeah, yeah yeah it is it is really interesting. It's got a lot going on. And it's really eye catching and it's um it's awesome. I get you know I I get a feeling this character was inspired. Jeez, oh, I freaking date myself again, dude. Um, what was that chick that played on Dallas? Ah. Uh, Whatever. Anyways, she's got a really good, like, 70s supermodel look to her. Oh, absolutely. You know, to she's totally got, you know, the thick hair. She Exactly. Like, dude, if I were a freaking teenage boy in the 1970s and I saw this, um, the pages would be stuck together later. Whatever. Let's move on. <laughs> um, so the Sirens confirm that they're creations of the Martians and their power is to hypnotize men, uh, which they try to do. Uh, their powers don't work on Kill Raven, which surprises both Kill Raven and the Sirens. Carol Raven didn't know that he had the power to resist them. So I think this is us finally, um, or them giving us some sort of background on what this power was that the, the doctor spoke about. And I thought I would pick this up in the second my second read through. He said, it seems the power which hides me from robot scanners keeps me safe from your wiles too. What the hell is he right. talking about? Well, I think that alludes back to the whole escape. Because I, I, I think you're right, because that's the only time we see a robot and him escaping, but they never called out the, like, oh, like you can't see me. Uh, right, yeah. right. So this is a twist for everybody involved, even, even Killraven. And um, I, I really love the fact that, like, they try to do their telepathic freaking uh, mind control on him. And it doesn't work. And his first response is, I'm going to Captain Morgan the fuck out of this. And just be super confident kill Raven again. Because now I know you can't touch me. Yeah, he instantly goes from I'm screwed to I have control of the situation. And I'm back in a place of comfort and power. Just like instantaneously. Well, yeah. And, and it's really well conveyed through through the panel. Because, I mean, he, he went from that I'm going to give you the shocker pose to... <laughs> To now, I mean, he's like, hey, have you got a little Captain Morgan in yet? You, you know, one one leg raised up, just kind of debonairly, you know, casually just resting an arm there. And now he's just like, he's just, you know, chatting up to these freaking sirens. He's like, uh-huh, your stuff don't work. 
So uh, your mojo don't work. My mojo is freaking cool. So now what are we going to do? We're an hour and 20 minutes in this podcast, so maybe it's a little bit late, but I'm going to put the not safe to listen uh, in the car with your family tag on it right now. <laughs> oh, well, I thought the explicit tag was a given. <laughs> <laughs> so if your children heard about the shocker and whatnot, I apologize. But better they learn it from us and from you than they learn it on the streets, right? Exactly. Hey, hey everything is learned on the internet these days. Um. I probably shouldn't do this because I'm going to get us a little sidetracked, but my wife punched me when I was at a grocery store a few weeks ago. She was buying breadcrumbs, which are called uh, panko. So in the middle of the store, I said quite loudly, two in the panko and one in the stanko. And she just immediately punched me in the arm. Which... <laughs> but I'm Damn sorry, it. I got us a bit sidetracked. Oh, man, that's brilliant. <laughs> I'm sure she didn't think it was. But I oh, she was loved great. it. She thought it was funny, but she, that was her way of saying, hey, Mark, maybe in the middle of our community was not the time to exercise your uh, your lowbrow wit. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, well, you know, whatever. Uh, we are what we are. That's all I can say. <laughs> and that's what Killraven is about. Being exactly. a man and being he is who, who he are. is. Yes. So, but I'm sorry I got us sidetracked. Um, so, yeah, so he's, like you said, he's very confident in control of the situation. Um, and I love he's, like, casually threatening them with violence now. Like, almost like he's playing with right. them. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. He's back in control. He knows he's good. So now he's like, okay, what are we going to do next? And our, our siren ladies here are, are like, hey, look, you know what? Um, we're cool. We don't want to fight. But, oh, by the way, behind you. And this is the second time uh, in, in like, what, like six minutes he's he's ambushed from behind by mutants? Yeah, like this guy has absolutely no freaking situational awareness. No. Um, yeah, this is why he needs his Freeman by him to watch his back. Because apparently uh, uh, he, just, he just can't tell when people are sneaking up behind him. Yeah, and these this it's not like it's one or two zombies. There's like this whole misfit zombie parade. There's one that looks like a cocker spaniel, but it has like wings for ears. There's a djinn behind him or genie with like a genie sword. We see the guy with a prosthetic spear arm, and he's got a like fanged uh, mouth coming out of his neck. We see an angry robot. Uh some of the weapons. Yeah, Semi robot man. What's that? semi-robot man because it looks like it, it, it looks like someone just took a head and just grafted it onto a robot body but it's all it even... the same too which makes it confusing oh wait no no wait he's got a head and an arm okay okay i see he's it got now a, he's got a head and a biological arm and, and the other robot arm i mean fuck, they didn't even give the poor bass an opposable thumb on the other robot arm i mean how's this guy gonna eat I don't. I don't think he's gonna have a happy and productive life. At least spear arm guy can freaking use it as a shish kebab. Okay. The the robot guy. Now that we we're I'm looking a little bit closer at him. He almost reminds me of Dengar from Star Wars. Oh yes, yes he does. So yeah, we've we've got the giant the giant. I, I had not noticed him. And we've got Mr. Spear guy who's got like this weird like second mouth coming out of his neck. Yes. And 
the guy wow. the guy above him had like four arms and it looks like one of his weapons it looks like Spudnik. It looks like he's like trying yeah. to hit hit uh yeah, kill Raven with Spudnik, which Yeah, that or it's a really large and weird whisk. <laughs> so I love the future weapons here. Yeah, they they're definitely varied and different, you know, and you know, keeping one thing I I've definitely been enjoying about these books is like the um the fight panels are are, are definitely for the time, some of the better ones I've, I've seen. Um, a lot of Marvel's 70s stuff, you see much more, like, they, they, you can tell a lot of thought was put into, if this person's standing here, I'm going to show this move, now I'm going to show this person, like, blocking. It was much more, they show that fighting. In comic books today, a lot of the action is more implied. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely, it, it looks... The fighting looks mechanically sound. Yeah, yeah. For, for what that whatever that vague statement is worth, it, you know, it it definitely looks like the the motion that is implied by the the pose of the character is carried through throughout, and the the reactions of the enemies as they're getting bowled over definitely seems like it would line up with the kinetic energy of his motion. So it, it looks really good. I mean, it is a little overly dramatic at times with some of the posing, but it, it does look really on point. So I, I definitely give the art team that for sure. You said kinetic. That was the exact word that I was going to use. Very kinetic. Yeah, well, that's why we're doing this together, you and I. <laughs> so I'm glad. I mean, it's. I think they did a really good job. So I, I, yeah. It both, yeah. Kinetic is absolutely what, what, uh, it, what it imparts. Yes, and and, and we finally get to see. Uh, uh, Kill Raven starts to lose his cool a little bit here. He gets a little angry. Oh uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, he's getting attacked from all sides here. So yeah, he's getting a little bit angry. He's. Uh, it was like every five minutes he's getting ambushed. So we're definitely seeing him lose his cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, if 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 I if I suddenly realized my situational awareness was absolute garbage, I'd be starting to get a little pissed too. And we we get to see him meet up with the other two members of his free uh, his freemen team, who he stormed uh, Grand Central Station with. One is a white guy with giant button chops, and another one is a a black guy dressed as a pirate with like lar- like a large afro and their names are Hawk and uh Mashula and since it's 1970s Marvel I'll let you guess which one is which <laughs> the black guy I'd say is Hawk and the white guy is Mashula I'm going yeah. I'm I'm going to be honest with you I was so hoping they were going to subvert my expectations even though I knew they weren't but I was still a little bit disappointed right but yeah, so they come in, they help kill Raven, clean uh, clean up the rest of these mutants. Because yeah, he was in a little bit of pro- uh, danger here. Because I mean, what it was like five, six on one. So he was uh, he was definitely having some problems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Six on one, hand to hand combat. I mean, yeah, you, you could be a, a, as badass as you want to be. That's still those odds are still a little bit daunting. So having having your compatriots come in to help even out the odds definitely worth having. Plus, I um, I enjoyed that we get to see to, like they, these characters are named, and we get to see that Kill Raven does need some help, and these are some capable characters. 
Right, and, and then it's you're, you're drawn back into the the first panel of the first book. It's now back to it's steel on steel. It's hand to hand, vicious combat. You know, it, it thrusts, parries, and it's carrying through with the art. You know, there's lots of clanging. There's lots of blocks. There's lots of posts. It's it's it, it, it's it looks great, man. And they. They do pose it a little more on the dramatic side, but it really pulls off really well on this next couple of panels here. <clears throat> yeah, I, I definitely agree. These are seeing them all fight at the same time. Like you said, seeing the sword play, it definitely pulls us back into that action of the first few pages of the first issue, and it just it, it reads really well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, it's reading really well, and uh, and. Yeah, the fight moving on. Our 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 great battle gets uh gets interrupted by nothing less than a roar of the world's freaking tripod. Which, when it lands in the foreground of the shot, we get a large clump. Yep, and all you see is like the first like quarter of the damn thing's leg. Yeah, I mean this thing looks like it's what like three stories tall. It's the next yeah. couple panels. I mean, they know they're screwed here. That's just that antenna shooting a laser beam and these guys scrambling to get out of the way as, as, as best as they can. Yeah, so they, they're on the run. And, and then we hear, as they're, as they're trying to escape, uh, I guess we learn that the Freeman's primary mode of transportation is horseback. Yeah, which which I, I didn't see coming. <laughs> no, and I enjoy that they parked their of all the places to park their 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 horses. I like that it was inside, but I love it. it's like yeah, back to the church where we we put our horses. Yeah, well, where else are you gonna put a horse? Well, yeah, I mean it's a it definitely it looks like it's a surviving structure, but I I definitely like that they were parking them inside for safety. I like that they specifically call out where they parked him, like it's yeah, the church. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, yeah, exactly. Not only safety, you're also noticing if you're breaching a freaking enemy fortress, you, you don't want to let them know that you're there by accident by having your horses just milling about outside. I mean, I would be worried about know. the mutants eating them as well. Oh, well, or let's get that gets on a little bit later. Or maybe a kill raven type coming along and skinning them and making yes. <laughs> making clothing. Yeah, you know, I noticed the horses have just about as much freaking clothing as freaking Kill Raven does. <laughs> Don't body shame Kill Raven. <laughs> hey, dude, if you can pull, if you can pull off that outfit, go for it, man. I know I can. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they're on horseback now, but it's the same plan. It's we're we're going to just avoid these death rays. We don't have anything that can take out this uh this tripod, which right. Like you said, you were hinting at why maybe do they have the horses inside? It's because they're attacked by like a giant like kimono dragon. No, damn it! This is New York City. It's a giant crocodile. <laughs> okay, sewer croc comes out. The texturing yes. on that thing is awesome too. But yeah, so I mean, this thing is like the size of a city bus, and so now it was almost like the tripod has herded them into the path of this giant lizard. And I love, right. I love the look of uh, Kill Raven's horse when the monitor lizard like turns and it looks like it's about to try to eat him. That is a shot. It looks horse. like Mr. Furley in the airplane. Was that? Yes. It looks like Mr. Furley in the airplane. <laughs> Apparently, they have one artist that just does shocked faces. Okay. I just love the what. 
like look on that horse's face. Exactly. <laughs> the horse is just like, whoa, you gotta be kidding me, man. <laughs> so, man, Kill Raven doesn't even skip a beat here. Um, I love he... So we see what's in his giant backpack now, and he doesn't take it off his, his arms or off the front of his bathing suit, but he, like, just opens the back of his, his, his backpack and just flips out, like, four of these uh, silver stars, as he calls them, even though they're very clearly gold and don't look aerodynamic at all. Okay, now, I, I, I do have a gripe here, okay? Every action panel we've seen so far the 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 sense of there's a sense of rightness with the laws of physics okay even if it's not 100 percent spot on it it is it is at least implied to be within the realm that we normally would understand with a little bit of license taken for for create you know creative license yes now, this Dora the Explorer shit with fucking backpack just opening up and spitting out in fucking Explorer stars I, I, is a little off-putting for me. I agree with you. Like, the way that it opens, there's no way he would have been able to open that, like, all the way like that while it was still on his back. And there's no one... I think his arms forward trying to imply that he threw those stars. But, I mean, there's it's just... Not. His arms just forward like he's a zombie just with his arms out and there's like no implied it's like it's like the the star is almost flying behind him it's not like it's throwing like being thrown yeah it's it's a very weird panel especially the way that the they're drawn i mean those are like the same gold stars you would get on a uh uh, as a kid if you didn't like pee the like pee in the cot at preschool or you got like a all your words right on a spelling test those are not aerodynamic like yeah like throwing stars no, no, no. Kill Ray. Yeah, exactly. This is just some really off-the-wall stuff here. And I've got to say, so far in these two issues, they've really nailed a lot of the combat and a lot of the sense of motion and and, and a lot of the, the kinetic energy and, and, and just the kinesthesia of it all, you know, of... of of basically being able to look at it and to know just by looking at a panel what the motion that's implied it was supposed to be and be able to see it see how it carried out and impacted in the panel with you know just a static image is i i i've really enjoyed that aspect of these books so far but to see the the, the whatever one of the artists freaking just yeah, you know, I mean, maybe he took too much Excedrin or something. Maybe he was just, like, having a bad day when he came in for this panel. He's just like, ah, screw it. We're just going to have these stars flying out of the backpack. We're going to have his arms looking like it's swinging. Like maybe he threw him out or something, and he's double-jointed and can freaking unzip it without having to take it off. Cool. Well, I just don't understand why you would color them gold if you were going to call them. He said, cause he says that, uh, he was taught the art of silver stars when he was still a child. It's just, well, that's because he was a substandard performer. Okay. Okay. He was a substandard kindergarten student. He only got the silver stars. Okay. He always wanted the gold ones. So he stole them and put them in his backpack when he left school. I feel that if he was not a good student or as good as the other students, when he was like, kind of taught himself, uh, through 
again, sitting on the floor in his fur clothing in Queens. That really kind of says something about him, and he's maybe not as confident as he makes himself out to be. Kill Raven's really hard on himself. Yeah. <laughs> Except for on that throwing. But yeah, yeah. Despite the fact that it just looks like his backpack opened up and decided to like poop out some throwing stars, he amazingly hits the kimono dragon, uh, the the sewer, the sewer alligator, uh, uh, with at least three of them, and this of at course, least three. Yeah, this this enrages the 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 alligator. We get a roar, or it's more of a ah roar, which yes, yes, ah roar. I. I guess that's supposed to be it being angry. But this is where we see that Killraven, despite the door and backpack, he's a master strategist because his, this yes. is all part of his plan. It, yes, it's all part of the plan, okay? And, yeah, he, he antagonizes uh, Sewer Croc over here, gets it all pissed off, and, and, and baits the mutant crocodile into uh, doing his dirty work and using that mutant croc to take down the tripod, which was a, 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 a fabulous stroke of genius on his part. I mean, this is guy. I mean, we, we've seen already Kill Raven. You know, yeah, Kill Raven's like the freaking Gaston of the, the freaking uh, the post-apocalyptic, post-Martian invasion world. Now, you I mean no one fights like him? No one thinks like him? No one's quick on his feet as I mean. Shit! All we need is um, all we need is you know his free men to come up behind him, and you can break this out into a Broadway musical, and boom, done. I I love the onomatopoeia in the panel where the like you said the alligator it jumps on the tripod, and you see it's like legs all break off, but when the uh the alligator hits it, a rock, and then when the the tripod yes. hits the ground, we get a loud clang. Yes. Yes, and I, I can only guess that is the proper noise for a mutant to make. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I know uh, alligators kind of make a hissing noise. They don't really say much. But uh, maybe when you get that big, you know, hey, cool. The clang is definitely spot on. It's a great resolution With a K. to this. And again, K. It, it seemed like he never lost his cool. No, no. I mean, this dude is cool under pressure. Yeah, I mean, without a beat, without skipping a beat, he nails all this stuff, and he's going after that, and you know, proceeds to uh, regroup with his uh, his homies down on the docks. We we meet another free man. His name is Arrow. Um, yes, he's he's it, sans a shirt. There, he looks like he definitely is in this Kill Raven uh, uh, school of fashion. He just yes, and he he but more. he does keep his strappiness practical because he makes like a. A shoulder holster for his uh, sword. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he can he, he can conceal carry if he ever wore a shirt. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like that uh, how he's drawn there. It's an uncluttered. It definitely is more practical than some of the clothing we've seen. Um, yeah. But he lets us know that there's a ferry in and it's unloading slaves down at the dock. And I'm wondering if this was intentional. Now that slave, that first female slave, we see very much in the foreground. She's, mm-hmm. She looks very much like Maureen Raven did in the first issue. Yes, yes, yeah. You know what? I'm not, I hadn't noticed it until you called it out, but yeah, you're absolutely right. She definitely bears a striking resemblance. The uh, now, Oh, go ahead. Um, 
of course, you know, the, of course, you know, the, the Freeman and Killer, Killer Raven, uh, you know, will debate on what they're going to do. And Killer Raven is a man of single purpose, and uh, apparently he has a, a a deep-seated hatred for everything Martian, and uh, it, he wants to freaking he wants to free the slaves. And I, kudos to him, man. I want to point out that robot that's leading the uh, <clears throat> the the slaves ashore. For an arm, it has a, a bow and arrow attachment on his arm, which is super cool. And it it's taken me a minute to figure oh. out. I really like the robot design, and it looked familiar, and it took me to just now to remember what he's similar to. If anybody's ever read the any of the Magnus robot fighter uh, um, iterations, there's been several different series of that book. One of the designs that they've used multiple times is a robot called Hater. And he's definitely designed like the hater robot from Magus or Magnus Robot Fighter. Yeah, that is an, that is an awesome design with the crossbow on there. Yeah, I, I, I dig it. I, I'm a big fan of that. I'm also a big fan on the next page of when Kill Raven jumps into battle. It's just him, like diagonal across the page, just with his legs all the way out. And it actually it took me a minute of looking at that to realize that he's swinging down on an anchor. It just looked like yes. he was like Zangiefing across the panel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I did catch the I caught I caught the anchor my first time through because yeah, I'm I'm wondering what how the hell is he doing this? He's defying and, gravity uh, in a most yeah, Kill Raven way. Exactly, and, and and you know I'm glad they added that that you know the rope and the anchor to to kind of explain. It, it looks like an afterthought, does it not? It does look like an afterthought. It looks like he they had this really great pose, and then someone was like. Um, how is how is he doing this? Yeah, the the editor clearly looked at that. It's like I didn't know. I like we didn't talk about Kill Raven being able to fly. Like what's happening here? Right. Yeah, it, it definitely it, it kind of mixes things up with what you're seeing going on in the background. I mean, I can understand maybe he's doing a vertical drop, and that's the pose he's striking on his vertical drop because he's going to drop kick someone on the way down. But you know, with the with with his cohorts freaking clambering around behind him. It, doesn't the pose doesn't work so yeah they had it there was something in there to kind of make it seem like he's swinging from something you know and it, it looks really good i mean you know you go to the next panel and he squarely freaking kicks some guy right in the freaking gut and he goes about his kill raveny business you know steel on steel clashing clang of swords battling it out kill raven of course is totally arrow flinting it up and carrying on a you know almost almost humorous conversations with uh, his enemies. But what interested me there, you know, was okay, so we have the, you know, his immunity to the sirens. Yes. And we have the brief blurb about, oh, the robot scanners don't detect me. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they're trying to figure out priority of targets as they're going to assault this freaking ferry boat. And they, you know, kill Raven says, of course, we go for the, the human traders first because the robots aren't programmed to deal with the, um... The unexpected. The unexpected. There you go. Bingo. We also learned that the, they call him this a couple times in this issue. They call him Packrat. Yes. I wonder what that stems from. I, I, it, it's, again, it's something that didn't hit me until just now. 
I'm wondering if it's something because he runs with the free men, like he's their leader. They're referring to them as a pack. And maybe that's where pack rat comes from in this case. Maybe. I have no idea. And maybe the Freeman's freaking headquarters looks like something out of orders. <laughs> There's just dis uh, or just just hands that have been cut off, strewn about. Exactly, it's it's hands that have been freaking cut off, and, and like uh, a, a winding path to a giant pile of Sputnik-looking mace <laughs> freaking weaponry and and severed freaking robot crossbow arms and yeah. <laughs> I, I got to say, one of my favorite panels here is when he punches that guy off the boat because the guy calls him Packrat. And he's like, the only, the only men who call me Packrat, traitor, are men who want to die. So it's like he backhands him off the boat with a mighty spack. Yeah. And then, it, it, yes. Yeah. And then immediately after that, he kicks open a door and we get a mighty crump. Just yeah, you know, I, I'm flashing back to like the 1960s freaking Batman, Batman show. Every as I'm rolling through this, yeah, my you know, it's definitely got that whack, bam, pow, freaking feel going on here. Yeah, my wife bought me a few years a, a year, few years ago a book in, on onomatopoeia, so it's something that always stands out to me now. Just the nice, yeah, and those are these are some great ones. But yeah, he makes short work of these guys. Um, Kill Raven seizes the ferry. And uh, they yep. take it and they head back to the island of Stanton. Right now, in the next panel, after they seize the ferry and they, they're cruising back to the island of Stanton, you, you see uh, a most, uh, you know, a, a Planet of the Apes uh, style shot. Oh, absolutely. You know? It's absolutely yeah, reminiscent of the, the Planet of the Apes. Right, yeah. They're cruising across the Hudson River. They're heading to Stanton Island. Uh, and they're passing by Lady Liberty. But... It's Lady Liberty's head is is at a level where it's almost even with the Staten Island Ferry on the surface of the water. So we're either implying A, uh, Liberty Island got sank, you know, B, global warming is real. I was about to make a global warming comment. (laughs) And the water level has risen this much. Yeah, it's up to her armpit. Exactly. Okay, if that were the case... Grand Central Station would have been flooded. Um, the Martians have triggered some tectonic shifts, which have raised some parts of New York, but lowered other parts. Okay, that that can that that's, that seems like a plausible part of their monstrous plan. That seems like you know, or you know, of course, the Statue of Liberty being the the, the symbol that it is. You know, when you are trying to demoralize and break a population and and by conquest of course you want to eliminate any of their anything that could give them hope so yeah why not freaking knock down the statue of liberty you know you wouldn't expect her to land on her feet but hey stranger shit's happened apparently so she's on her feet and she does look pissed off in this picture yeah she absolutely does her face is cracked and there absolutely looks like an angry look on her face like half of her arms missing that's sticking out of the water so you know the torch is gone but yeah she looks definitely irritated i did not know lady liberty suffered from uh, suffered from um resting bitch face (laughs) she does maybe this is maybe they took down the statue of liberty and this is the resting bitch face statue of liberty half underwater they put up in their place because can we really know what the motivation of martians are they're gonna have a completely alien uh way of looking at things and maybe punishing uh the people they've subjugated true 
Okay, so yeah, so so they're they're going back home, and uh, as they're heading back to Staten Island, um, uh, once again, once again, Kill Raven and his crew are ambushed. Yeah, again, yeah, it's that's a common theme throughout issue the second the second issue here, issue nineteen. <clears throat> but and again, it's a tripod. Uh, and we saw this in the first issue when we recapped a, a battle scene. The tripod comes out of the uh, the water and starts to attack the ferry. Right, and you know it, it's it's doing its thing. It is wrecking it. But our our man Killraven here, he is cool as a cucumber under pressure. I, and uh, I have to say, just looking at this, this is not the uh, the only time in the issue. I'm going to make this complaint. It looks like the scale of the tripods that we've seen in the last issue to this issue to the one earlier on, they're not all lining up. Because if you look at this one, the the top of the 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 tripod looks like it's not that big, that much bigger than a man. When we saw them earlier on, they looked much much bigger. So I'm not sure the if there's different the size tripods. How how are you? No, I I think the scale's lining up. I think the scale's staying fairly consistent, but maybe it's it, I had expectations built that that's not lining up. But yeah, that's definitely something that we can continue to monitor to yes. to champion your your theory of scale versus my theory of scale. <laughs> right. Well, it's it's definitely. It is, it is definitely large and in charge, and uh, Kill Raven, being Kill Raven, utilizes um, utilizes every resource at his disposal, and decides that what he's going to do is basically do a, a reverse throttle hop with the with the Staten Island ferry, and uh, he he slams his engines into reverse while the uh, the the tripod's in pursuit of him. And, and basically backs it up and trips up said tripod. Yeah, I was I was a little bit disappointed that this tripod was taken out as easily. But I mean, again, that's consistent with the first one. But it, in my mind, and maybe it's because I just built it up based off that's all we saw the Martians attacking mankind with in that first issue. To see Kill Raven in fifteen minutes, like take out two of these with just basic things he had on hand, like a mon- uh, a lizard collision and now a boat collision. I just, it kind of took away from some of the power that I thought was implied with the, uh, the tripod. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely makes the tripod seem a, a lot, a lot weaker than, uh, than a, a freaking weapon of mass destruction should be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he takes them out and you know, their headquarters, uh, you know, You've got you know the dubious guys with shady glasses and white coats. They're monitoring the situation, and uh, are are not too thrilled that Kill Raven and crew have uh, have managed to take out two tripods in a span of about fifteen minutes. Yep, they uh, they take it out. They're able to get back to the island of Stanton. Kill Raven fills in his crew about hey that old man we murdered. Turned out he was brainwashed. This is what's you guys don't realize what's going on. These aren't, you know, like those tripods are really robots. This is what's really going on. We're facing invaders from another world. And like you said, we get we go to the uh, Jersey Palisades where a one-armed scientist, and we learn that this is Professor Klemp, Klempleton. Uh, 
he's uh, he's been monitoring the tripods and he knocks out that uh he notices that two have been knocked out in a six hour period right uh apparently there's a there's a little debate about who gets to uh talk to the boss and break the bad news to them uh <clears throat> i like how this guy rationalizes it that um we learn because we learn that he's in charge of something called the ribonucleic acid project, and then if he wants to complete this, he has to continue to cooperate with the Martians, which means that he's going to report to them what's going on. He's going to continue to cooperate with them. To me, this implies yeah. that maybe the level of control that the Martians have it's a bit more insidious because he seems to have a lot of free will or at least think that thinks that he does, that he's doing these right. things as an independent agent, that he's not being controlled. So I, I can't wait to see if this is, if he's under the same level of control as we saw keeper in the, that previous issue. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it, I'd be definitely interested to see whether he is under a compulsion to act or if he is just doing this as his own free will out of a desire for research, which brings us to the next panel, which is a full-page panel, and it, it's the big reveal of the masters of the freaking Martians, and, and it is almost everything Lovecraftian you could have hoped for. I, I love the design of this, and I love that if you go back to that first issue, when the egg shield was on it, this is exactly the same, like the bottom that we saw, like of the Martian contraption, just with the egg shield removed, so it's very consistent. And I just, I love that he looks like a, maybe a melted, like, burned bird or a melted Mr. Potato Head, yes. and he's got the yes. robot tentacles coming out of his face. It's great. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Giant. Oh, fucking spider. <laughs> That's one problem with being in the comic book garage. Wolf spiders. Anyways, moving on from that, spider has been severely dealt with. It will not be bothering me again. Um, yeah, he, he, he's got the giant, like, baby bird. For, I mean, he looks like he's trying to freaking, you know, get some food for mama bird over here. Giant, gaping, dripping maw. Fucking black, soulless freaking eyes with... Jeez, uh, man, what, 10, 20 freaking tentacles just coming out of his freaking cheeks. It, it, it's, it, they, it's it's definitely... Um, the the tentacles, to me, look like they, they're robotic or they're uh, yes. mechanized. So I love that he's it's a cybernet, cybernetic organism. Yeah, it, they did a great job with this design. And the right, scale yeah. and, of and it is, is it's great. It's definitely disturbing to look at. And yeah, the scale, he's like, you know, at, at least... I'd say maybe 12 foot tall. Yeah. So you definitely get that this would be an intimidating thing to run, ac run across. Right. Um, I was planning to read all these panels in a good Martian voice, and I, I don't really have one. Okay. Wow. I don't know if that's something that maybe we could, we could work on as the show goes on. Cause I almost, uh, what I almost picture this stole, or this 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 Martian sounded like if you did you ever see the episode of the original Star Trek, uh, the Tholian web, and what the Tholians sounded like? It was almost like broken glass is how like their their like the Universal Translator had rendered their voice. I almost that's what I imagine this thing to sound like. Yeah, it, I I I would think I would think whatever it sounds like, it's gotta hurt. Um, but yeah, he gives us, uh, just something, uh, I, I thought, uh, 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 an interesting word balloon here. Um, he wants to know if this guy has something to report. 
Um, he talks about how uh, useful the Earth scientists have been because often their loyalty is to their work and not to their so-called fellow man. So it sounds like they they specifically chose the the scientists for what they because they, they 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 thought they'd be more controllable. Uh, they said they find that trait tra- that trait admirable, and it's one of the few things about humans that the Martians can understand. So it seems like they very much they targeted uh, scientists for this perceived reason. Yeah, yeah, and you know, okay, sure, Mia, yeah, I can understand some some people would have a bigger loyalty to their work. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely think it's a dumb reason. I think it's something that. Is an, it's something with an alien mindset who's trying to understand a culture that they just that's inconceivable to them? Why they would have these weird in, preconceived notions that to us that would seem laughable? There's like so anybody who's a okay. professional is going to have some sort of attachment to their work. For you to deem scientists as for any reason more or less divorced from that than other people, it definitely I think it shows that they're they're really inability to understand mankind. Right. It's either that or maybe they got beans way too many episodes of the Big Bang Theory. I don't know. Or uh, or V. Or V, yes. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely kind of kind of it seems to kinda of hit on the whole like you know, scientific progress, you know, in favor of everything else, including your fellow mankind trope. And uh okay. Yeah, it, it's it is a little tropey, I think, but I, I'm willing, I'm game. I'll run with it for now. Yeah, it definitely. It's hard for us too in 2017, uh, to because we everything that's was would have been creative in the 50s, 60s, or 70s. By the time we can uh, we consume it now, it has been if it was good and creative, it has become a trope and been done to death. So I'm not this saying that this was even creative then, but it's something that it's hard for us, you know, having almost 40 years on, or having 40 years on this is we're going to yeah. see it a little bit differently. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And it, it, it's definitely something I, I, uh, I need to uh, kind of keep in mind as I'm going through this. Cause uh, I, I'm coming at a cold. I, I know what era we're picking from here, uh, but I'm not, I'm a little fuzzy around the exact dates. So looking back and, and yeah, this is from 1973. Uh, yeah. The, some of the things that we would definitely consider really tropey and just overdone, especially in, in, in the comic book world of storytelling, were, were probably relatively new plot devices back then. Yeah, I mean, because we're, we're four years before Star Wars. So, I mean, a lot of the sci-fi stuff that we would, with how aliens look and how we fit picture space travel, a lot of those big sci-fi, I mean, we've had Star Trek. We haven't had a lot of the, the progressive sci-fi since then. So, yeah, a lot of this, even if it had been done before, had not been done to death like we're used to now. Right, yeah, exactly. You know, you don't, we haven't kind of gotten on to that point yet. So... Yeah, and I, I that's why I, I'll, I'll I'll keep rolling with it because yeah, I I am trying to bear in mind that this is definitely, you know, this is one of the, this is this is the the forefather of a lot of a lot of science fiction and, and comic books stuff that I I definitely will do near and dear to my heart. So, yeah, uh, Mr. Big Bad Martian, and, and you know, in my mind, he sounds like freaking 
um, what's his name, Bane from the freaking last Batman movie, you know. Yeah, he, he, that's what it sounds like in my mind. He just sounds really weak and kind of, kind of frail. And he's a little fresh. This is not, this, this cute raven must be dark riff. But, uh, I yeah, vote so for that to be the official Martian voice. That's great. <laughs> Damn it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I was going to do something like this, but I think yours is way better. Or we could alternate them. There, there, we, go. there we go. Maybe if we have two margins, we could alternate. Um, so, yeah, it, it appears like he's uh, he's dispatching uh, Professor Kempleton or, or, or someone. Yeah, they, it, it looks like just one of their random lackeys in a cool futuristic yeah. jet. Yes, yes, it is definitely – it is a futuristic jet jet that just screams of like 1950s futurism you know it's all sleek lines and shiny metal man i mean this thing is pimp yes yeah exactly it definitely calls back to like like you said the 1950s with the sleek lines it, we get a nice swoosh <clears throat> as it launches yes um and I, I love that its mission was specifically to learn more about the rebels which I don't right. know what you think the jet is going to specifically learn that's going to fly by at like Mach one. Hey, maybe it has a really, really awesome sensor suite. Okay. Okay, I will grant it that. But and again, it doesn't seem like it learns a tremendous amount. It uh, it's we see that the 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 ferry the the freemen torched and abandoned the ferry so it couldn't be used to haul slaves again, couldn't be recovered, and that's. Literally all that it really learns. It's like I found it. It's been torched. I'm returning back to base. Right, yeah, and there is a little conversation going on between the pilot and, and the base, and uh, apparently they they have notified the siren, yeah, the Not siren, any siren, the siren. So it's you know that's you know you're just like we're not talking about a run of the mill siren. We're talking about the siren. You got to say that with a freaky. You know, bold print of it, capital letter. It's the yeah, it's siren. the capital V. Yeah, yeah T T H E siren. And yep, uh, we hit back to the the uh, the free or we hit the the freemen at their base. And I I love the look of the huts that they have. Again, it's you're you're definitely hit with this is all salvaged material that they're living off of. Uh, but their clothes are so dapper. <laughs> yes. I love the sleeves with the the spiky the spikiness on the sleeves. I don't know how. Yeah, I mean, how they apparently do that. there is no shortage of starch. Yes. Um. So mid sentence, you know, Killraven's talking, and in mid sentence, he realizes that his, his sentries are missing, and Mishula and Arrow are unresponsive, and that's when they we learn that they're under the spell of Scarlet, Queen of the Sirens. Right now here. This lady, this lady, her eyebrow game is on point. It's on fleek, as I think the kids would it's, say. Yeah, I, I was going to go there, but <laughs> I often dodge it, and I am glad you took that plunge. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is on fleek. Uh, and she is totally, dude, I mean, okay. I, I have to uh, say I admire the uh, progressiveness and forward thinkingness of some of their costume design, because this is taking place. This was a uh, 1973 when it was released, correct? Yes. Okay. These guys figured it out. Women's business suits needed shoulder pads, <laughs> and they put it in their book. 
Yeah, absolutely. Her her shape is completely disguised here, unless she's just got some weird random bulbous fat around her upper body. But yeah, I like again. It's her costume seems very different from things that we've seen before. I like that the she's got a weird cowl on. She's very different it from seems, the sirens we've seen, and I like that. Right. It it, it seems it, it almost seems ceremonial. You know exactly. Yeah, it seems like she's like the head of an order, and she has like her ceremonial robes that have linebacker padding underneath it, and uh, you know it 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 it, it, it disguises her body because I you know I'm. I'm reading too much into this, of course, but I mean, you know, the sirens are basically there to tempt guys in, and you know, she's moved beyond being mere, uh, merely a foot soldier siren. She's now looks like she's 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 she is the siren. She's definitely so royalty. She, yeah, she doesn't have to deal with this piddling crap anymore. So she her her outfit, her 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 garb, you know addresses that her garb seems to befit someone that's no longer having to to lure men in with her feminine wiles it's now she's like hey you know what screw this i'm gonna cover this up you know forget the freaking bra wear something a little more comfy you know no shoes i mean hell she's probably going commando under there too who knows she she has the but yeah she has the siren totally no shoes covered. so they tie that well i guess no the the sirens in this issue did have shoes so she's just doing whatever she wants because she's queen right Hey, you know what? It's hey, if the siren wants to wear a freaking muumu with shoulder pads underneath it, that's what she's wearing. All right, and she's totally comfortable with it. Um, so yeah, she confronts uh Killraven, and Killraven is taken from behind. And I like the design. <laughs> sounds of this... so wrong. What's that? That sounds so wrong. But that's that's how he keeps getting it's. This entire issue is about him concentrating on the front and somebody getting him from behind. But yeah, I love yeah. that you can definitely tell this is a Martian design. It looks like the egg-shaped shield we saw in the first issue. It's got those robot tentacles. And I love it puts those like giant uh, jar handcuffs on Kill Raven's hands. So his hands, mm-hmm. he can't even use them because they're inside these containers. So yeah, he is, he is down and out. Yep, he is down and out. I mean, it... it yeah. It, it almost looks like they freaking amputated him. Yes. Yeah. It I mean, seems like his arms are a little unnaturally short. Hey, that's just me, but you know, yeah, they don't taper yeah. off to the natural point that it looks like. You, it looks like they'd still go on for like another half a foot. Exactly. You can tell he's in dire straits now. He is in dire straits. He, he's he's hung up. He's hung out to dry, and uh, the siren, the siren, with her on fleek freaking eyebrows. Because I mean, dude. Seriously, that is some freaking sharpie skills she's got going on there. <laughs> I've seen bad a lot of bad eyebrows. She's got it down. The Martians do good work. Yeah, yeah, because she doesn't look. She doesn't have that. Oh, my eyebrows are surprised. Look, she has like <laughs> my eyebrows are sinisterly, like kind of sort of evil, but they're still shaped well. Yeah, they're very long too. They're they're almost Spock like. Yes, they are. Which is which I find cool. Yeah, so yeah, she's she's taking him back to base, and uh, you know who knows what's going to happen to our hero here as he's getting drugged back. It looks like he's uh he's doing a little reflecting as they're they're bringing him back in. I I love the yeah. panel where the giant like fifteen foot tall robot is just on the back of their boat, 
just like just oh, just that doesn't look very stable but it's just holding kill raven they're taking him back in and it uh yeah it looks like that uh yeah like you said he's doing some quiet reflecting um about his situation and we learn that he's yep. going to uh be put back into the games because they want a live rebel for uh for their gladiatorial games <clears throat> right and uh okay I've got to switch mics because mine is about to die. Yeah, we've gone for a lot longer than I thought we would. We have yeah, a lot of yeah, we've gone for two hours, man, yeah. over two hours. Um, let's see. And we can't edit any I'm, of this. This is gold. Exactly. This this is gold. Okay, I'm just gonna shut down the Bluetooth, and we'll, I'll, I'll have to continue this off of the uh, the mic built into the computer. So the audio quality is probably gonna go to crap. I, we're there's a few pages left, but I mean they're mostly all action. So I mean we're we're almost ready to wrap this up here. So for the patient right, well, viewer or listener who stayed with us, this is one of the longer comic book podcasts I've ever heard. But I appreciate it. And you know what? Maybe if you guys want to break it down in issue chunks, hey, it's your science fiction fantasy. You can listen to it however you want. Or maybe we could edit it down into two chunks. That's thought. And maybe just work on an intro later. But okay, anyways, let's push on before my battery <laughs> dies so I can keep this freaking at least uh, good audio. So okay. yeah, so Kill Raven, our hero, he's, he's in dire straits. And uh, yeah, they're dragging him to Madison Square Garden, which is now simply known as the Arena. Yes. Um, he's taken before another Martian, and this is a great design. This one looks like it has like bloated jowls coming off of him. Yes. Yeah, really. And his design. tentacles are kind of like Fu Manchu-y. Yes, exactly. Um, I really like that we're seeing some variation in the Martian design. Um, so we, we learn that he's supposed to fight this mutant who uh, has got a prosthetic arm. And you can't really tell on this panel um, very well or because of the foreground background. But that mutant is huge. He's at least like 12 feet tall. And right. we learn that um, Kill Raven psychs himself up. Uh, because if he's, if he's a man, he can try. And that's what, a, that's all a man can do. And Kill Raven's able to break out of his restraints and he breaks his hand free by punching the mutant in the face with his, uh, with his hand restraint. And that's how he breaks his other hand free. And it's just a really great scene here of, uh, just him swinging in. He, we get a bunt as he knees this thing in the face. He's just giving this yep. thing no quarter. Yep, yep, he is going all out, and uh, this poor bastard, uh, he's just basically getting mauled. He never had a chance, even though he's a 12-foot-tall freaking mutant. Yeah, he is huge. I'd say, yeah, anywhere from, like, maybe even, like, 15 feet tall, he is huge, and just Kill Raven's jumping on him and, like, pounding his, uh, his like, just kicking him in the, the base of the neck with a mighty crack. I love the, his text dialogue, the mutant. It's just unrecognizable, like, characters. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it just looks like someone went crazy with an old Commodore 64 and just changed the font or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, oh, go ahead. And, well, yeah, so, yeah, he, he's mauling the mutant, and uh, we come to see uh, Kill Raven's compatriots, uh, Mashula, and I, I would guess Hawk as well, are in captivity nearby. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, he's able to uh, free uh, free his companions. The Martian escapes. Um, but he leaves a, a laser as a, a parting gift 
to finish off Kill Raven, which doesn't even kill, like slow Kill Raven down. He just takes like a no. piece of metal off the prison cell, just rips that thing off, and just throws it right into like the 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 laser, just destroying it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he he does it with an almost uh, a casual ease of just like screw it. I'm not ducking anymore. I'm just taking everything out and wrecking it as I go. And he monologues a little bit at the end here, and uh, he, he's basically, "Hey, you know, we're free men. You know, this we're gonna get out of here, and we're gonna we're gonna go where we can see the sky because that's where a man can breathe." Yeah, we 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 get a little bit of 1970s environmentalism here that man had finally learned to live with the land instead of off the land, and that was stolen. Like their heritage was stolen by the Martians. And he's had enough, and it's time for them to make a stand, and he wants to know who will fight with him. Yeah, and it, it definitely dramatic posing on rooftops, gargoyles. And yeah, John Travolta's finger up. Oh, yes, he's totally, totally trying to stay alive over here. Yeah, very much. It's a great speech about taking the fight back to the Martians, taking it home to them, that they're not just going to fight these like small skirmishes anymore, that they're taking the fight right back to the Martians. Exactly, and, and this, this I, I'm, I'm guessing here that this, uh, this starts off the arc that's going to keep on uh, going on with this series, where Kill Raven is is trying to take the fight back to the Martians and trying to, trying to reclaim his his lost legacy, mankind's lost, lost legacy. legacy. Yep. And next issue is the Wages of Death. Nice. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed both issues. Uh, I thought they both flowed really well. Again, I think we're trying yeah. to keep uh, – I'm going to keep my thoughts a little bit brief at the end here, like you said. We've been going for a while, and your uh, mic is dying. Uh, what were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I I like the incorpora- incorporation of the H.G. Uh, Wells' War of the Worlds, you know, kind of juxtaposed with this, uh, I, I, I guess, you know, for the time being, more modern take on, uh, on an approach post-apocalyptic society where man's basically being oppressed by a by a by by a foreign alien master and and having this kind of resistant movement i'm hoping it's gonna be a really great story and i i'm really enjoying how dynamic and, and, and how kinetic they are making some of these fight panels especially kind of keeping everything uh, with the theme of more melee combat and not doing so much of like the rage laser blast and pew pew pew, you know they've definitely got some really great art going on here. And whoever's figuring out these panels, uh, I, I'd say like 99% of the time they're they're hitting it pretty damn well with making something that communicates exactly what the artist is intending. At least as far as I can tell. I think that would so be a lot of that good. would be Howard Chenkin. But yeah, I think you're right. Like this whole post-apocalyptic world uh, with humans no longer being their own masters, that's something that's been done to death today, but that was pretty fertile ground back in the early 70s. So yeah, a lot of creativity here. Yeah, it's definitely so far, it's been great to to read. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, It's definitely a, a great, you know, great lunchtime lunch break read for me that, that's exactly you know, what i did as well 
yeah, it, it's been good. I'm, I'm enjoying it, and I'm looking forward to the next couple of issues. I I feel bad for a lot of our re, uh, our listeners. These are not easy issues to come by. I know Marvel Unlimited just added issue 18, the first appearance of Kill Raven. I don't think any of the other ones have been added yet. So for most people, if you miss the original issues, uh, Marvel did a black and white, black and white uh, Essentials volume back in 2005. But unfortunately, and I'm going to cop to this, we picked these up uh, through a BitTorrent site because there's. I tried to. Go, I've looked all through Marvel Masterworks, other places to find them. There's just not a a good place to to get them yet. But um, which is why I think it's a good thing we're doing this because this is something that had definitely, for the most part, been lost to time. Um, just wanted to throw out some of our contact information here. Um, okay. The show has an email address. It's comicbookdungeon at gmail.com. I don't have any social media except for I have a Twitter account where I talk about comics, and that's just broken LMD. It's life model, life model decoy for Marvel Comics, so just at broken LMD. Uh, do you have anything, Cruz, that you would like to share? Uh, you know what? Uh, I'll use my, my Twitter account for... Uh for contact with the show so uh, I am at the blind one on Twitter uh, feel free to tweet at us or, or you know email the show would probably probably be the better option uh, I would think but uh, hey you know if, if you drop us a line I'm, I'm sure we'll try to respond back in a manner yeah i'm gonna uh, i can set that because i was just gonna have it forward to my main email address and i can have it forward to i think yours as well so one of us could always be you know we'll, we'll, one of us will see that when it comes in um wanted to end the show just give a quick uh uh survey or a, a, a quick reader question i should say um and we'll talk about some of the or we'll come back with our answers next week and if anybody writes in, or I, next time we release a show, but name a comic book or comic book character that you really enjoy, but you're not necessarily proud of, an embarrassing, uh, an embarrassing character. I'll give you mine now and just elaborate on it later. Sleepwalker from Marvel's early nineteen or from the early 1990s. Nobody likes Sleepwalker. I am the only one because he's a lame character, but I love him. I love the series nonetheless. Um, do you have anything on that line, uh, Cruz, or do you want to talk about it next week? Oh, or next oh show? well, you know, when we were discussing this, my wife was listening in, and she, she answered for me, uh, because it's also her embarrassing comic book character, and that would be Chobits from, uh, the, the manga Chobits, which we both read all, uh, you know, at least a good six or seven issues of it, so yeah. Yeah. Robot cat girl. What's not to like? Exactly. Robot cat girls are there for your every single deviant pleasure. Um, I think for the... We're, we're still going to be covering Kill Raven, it looks like, for the next few months. I was thinking for the next one, because I have it already lined up and on deck, our next series would probably be Godzilla. But uh, I read to uh, you in the very beginning some other uh, series that we could do. So if you, as the listeners, have strong thoughts on that, if you guys write in and vote, uh, we could definitely change uh, our plans based off of uh, popular demand. Um, do you have any thoughts on what you wanted to cover next, Cruz? Uh, you know, the, the Godzilla was interesting. Uh, let me see. I've got to pull up the... Uh, 
yeah. the book, the I, doc you sent me with, with other things. Yeah, it's I, really... I have no idea who Deathlock is other than um, a, a freaking Cartoon Network freaking band that was recent, so I know it's not the same thing, but hey, just the name implies freaking like something really metal, so... Deathlock. Killer Cyborg. Say that again? He's a killer cyborg. Yeah, I think you would enjoy it. Okay. Well, yeah, there's always Star Trek. I, I, I definitely have a long, deep-seated love of Star Trek. Silver Surfer. Uh, uh, I, I have read some of the old Silver Surfer stuff. Uh, so that would always be great to revisit. But, you know, Godzilla, I, I've never seen it. I've never, well, at least not the Marvel run. So I'd be more than happy to take that on and and uh, give it a read, you know. I'm game to read anything. Yeah, it's a shorter series. Uh, it's fun to see him interface with, say, like, Devil Dinosaur or have S.H.I.E.L.D. fight him. Uh, see, you know, the Hell character and Dum Dum Dugan intera- interact with Godzilla. I think Okay, yeah, now you sold me a Dum Dum Dugan, okay. Um, I just wanted to throw out, too, at the end of the show, um, we're definitely kind of late to the game with the podcasting uh, uh, um or making our own podcast, a comic book podcast. There's a lot of them out there that I don't think if they existed, we'd be doing what we're doing. So I think if you like what we do, you'd love a couple of these shows. So I just wanted to get, say a kind of a quick thank you to Marvel noise and indie noise and the guys there, uh, Steve, Andrew, Phil and Kevin. Both those shows are amazing. And the Uncanny X-Cast, which does exactly what we do here, but with X-Men Comics, Adam and Jeremy. If it wasn't for those two shows, I don't think this show would exist. So if you like what we do, I'm sure you'll love those two. And I just wanted to give them kind of a quick shout-out for the hours of entertainment they've given me. Um, I don't have anything else except for uh, 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 just to end the show. Do you have anything that you want to say before we go? No, uh, uh, hey man, keep on turning those pages or freaking reading off those scanners and, uh, you know, enjoy it. I think this, uh, with the digital, uh, evolution, because I'm not going to call it a revolution, that's redundant. Uh, the digital evolution of, of media definitely has made comic books way more accessible to a lot, far wider audience. And I know I wouldn't be reading anywhere near as much as I can on that front if it was not for the digital format. So, hey, you know, and, and this, this show, getting some forgotten stuff back in there and into the public eye, dusting them off the freaking dustbin of history and going over it is something that is both fascinating and just pure fun for me. So, whoever's listening, thank you so much. We definitely appreciate it. And, uh, man, just... Keep on flipping those pages. I, I have to agree. I've gone from picking up you know, like 100 paper books a month to going all digital. I think digital, it's just, it's made it so much more convenient, made organization so much uh, more convenient. Knowing where you left off, knowing what's in a series, knowing what you need to read, it's so much easier on the digital. I think digital changed everything. The, the industry's been slow to kind of embrace it. It's definitely the way of the future. I love it. And uh, before I go, I wanted to put this back on the listeners. Only you can prevent cosmic atrocities. Have your Galactus spayed or neutered today. Thank you. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you. I, you can't resist the, the Bob Barker at the end. 
Um, I was going to uh, uh, shut her down now. Um, I was probably going to shut her down two seconds from or three or ten seconds ago, but that's okay. I can cut as much off as we want. Exactly. Monkey you, balls. You can cut wherever. You can cut wherever you want. Monkey balls, outtakes, who cares? Whatever. Rum dum diddly dum. Oh. Which, okay, awesome. Because uh, this stupid freaking Bluetooth is now beeping incessantly <laughs> in my ears, so I can barely hear half the shit you're saying. Ah. Okay, I will. I'll catch you later. This was like two hours longer than I thought it would yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This went way longer than we thought. Man, maybe we can streamline a little bit more. But uh, you know, even though it went really long, it it was enjoyable. Yeah, so, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, it was definitely really fun. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this. This this is this is definitely promising. Yep. So we'll fi- I'll figure out a way to get your audio this weekend, and I'll try to splice it together. I'd love to have this up sometime early next week. Okay. Come on.